This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. everybody and welcome to another interseason episode of sequelizers i am your host as usual jack chambers ward with a bit of a cold i apologize in advance and joining me it's matthew stockton all major podcasts have delays when they did the fourth season of sequelizers nothing worked ain't that the truth known as the gas leak year for those in the know because <laughs> that season a fucking mess it was a transitional period yeah wasn't it just transitional to doing half an episode in a week or something and we thought that was a good idea. We were already doing half an episode a week. And this was a transition back to we were all working on bits of Oh, God, God, that was worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's worse. much worse. That's much worse. And speaking of things that definitely aren't much worse, it's Tim Matum. Nobody's looking for a sequelizer in today's wintry economic climate. That's true. We're not very good fuel. We're not very good. We haven't tried burning ourselves. We don't know. I've burnt myself a few times. <laughs> not enough. Just to see how it feels, Matthew. Just to, to feel it. something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, unfortunately, we're not talking about burning ourselves for fuel, although that may come up later in 2023, depending on how the world goes, because we're slowly on the descent towards an apocalypse, it feels like, for the last uh, Ever, hundred forever. years. Yeah. Two, 2,000 years, something like that. Yeah. Give we're, or take. Yeah. <laughs> last couple hundred years have been pretty bad. Speaking of things that have been around for the last couple hundred years, we're going to talk about puppets yeah a whole episode about puppets and that's because it was picked by one of our fantastic vips on patreon.com slash sequelizers and you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers you can get early access to all the episodes you get them the friday before they go up on the tuesday you get ad free so you don't have to hear us talk about audible and other stuff that we talk about occasionally we sometimes have other sponsors it's mostly audible at this point and some people even like our audible ads because tim Goes a bit mental with his ad reads sometimes. Tim skirts on getting us in so much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but Tim is very familiar with the skirts, so uh, oh. he dances it very well. I just I like to I like to dance my finger around the rim of legal Armageddon. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Dance. Brought to you by Audible. <laughs> I feel like dancing around the rim of legal Armageddon is a fantastic title for your memoirs. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, of course, you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. As I said, you can get exclusive merch, discounts on merch, whole bonus interseason episodes, outtakes and movie commentaries during the main season as well. And we've picked the commentaries for the upcoming season, season 12, which is, need I remind you, requelizers. Mm. Talking bad remakes. It's been a while since we did. We did prequelizers, which was season six. And I'll come back to season two. It's like every six seasons we do a different yep. thing. So I guess in oh. season 18 we'll do something else. 
Don't don't all, don't don't all rush with I, answers. No, I boys. didn't want to because I thought if we say it on air, that's true. Uh, people will start demanding. Yeah, that's it, how it works. It yeah. makes it canon. Yeah, the Discord will go nuts. I'm sure. And uh, yes, if you do go to Patreon.com/sequelizers and you want to get a shout out on the show, you can go to the thirty pound tier, just like these fine folks have done, and we call them the executive producers. <laughs> David Selinger, Marcus Lindstrom, and Canus Rufus. And if you go to the highest of the tiers, that is the £50 a month tier, first of all, we very much appreciate your support. And second of all, you get to be called a VIP. <laughs> James McDowell Josh Miles Hyper Dude Man Stuart Main Jonathan Firth Clark and the VIP that has picked us to talk about puppets a lot of pops and plosives in your microphone there, listeners. You're welcome. It's Philip Morgan. If we want to hear you talk, I will shove my arm up your ass and work your mouth like a puppet. You hear me? Thank you, VIPs, EPs, and everyone who supports us on Patreon. We very, very much appreciate it. Hopefully you're hearing the sexy, dulcet tones of the sequelizers through our new equipment. We've got new headphones. Full We've got, benefits. got new, like, portable studio equipment and stuff. It's very exciting. And, yeah, we couldn't do it without you guys. And thank you, Philip, for choosing the topic of puppets. Because I think it's going to be a, an interesting, particularly weird episode. Because there's some, not to spoil the second half, because you know what we do. We have some specific picks in the second half. Some weird shit to talk about in the second half. Because there's some weird puppets, ladies and gentlemen. I, I'm going to jump right in with this one. Dive into the puppets, Matthew. Put my hand right up it. Like Scrooge McDuck, but the coins are puppets. That's how I imagine it. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, so to kick this right off, I think puppets uh, and the choice of puppets by Philip Morgan is very much the mindset of a certain aged individual. Philip, you're showing your age, mate. I'm sorry. I'm sorry <laughs> to tell you. Jack said it. Not you're, one of these not, Generation Z kids. <laughs> you're probably not a teenager, Philip. Yeah, and the reason I mention this is because a puppet is something that is very readily accessible. And you can all kind of make one, do things that they've been around for ages. And literally whatever. a sock on your hand, mm-hmm. you've got a puppet. That's literally Kermit the Frog effect we started as. Yeah, kind of. But you don't really, well, you don't actively know you're seeing puppetry in cinema of late. Interesting, we talked about this just before we started recording. Mm. And you told me about a puppet in a film I have watched in the last 12 months. And I went, yep. huh? Really? That's a puppet? That was one of the locusts in Jurassic World Dominion. Yeah. Spoiler alert, that film's about locusts. It's <laughs> fucking stupid. Yeah. And they're, usually they're a big mush of CGI swarm. Oh, there's plenty of that shit. Yeah, there's far too fucking much of that shit, in my opinion. Mm. But the fact that there is some practical elements in there, the fact that it was a surprise to me in 2023 kind of says it all, right? Yes. And that's the thing. It's, it's the industry, and this is the... the <laughs> we're going to do a thing. We're going to talk about puppetry, yes. But the way we're going to do it is we're going to do what the industry's done and 
give CGI focus for far too long. Um, and also somehow We're part credit. of the problem. Yeah. Before we get into the whole, like, this is a specific art, it is a thing that has been lost for a long time. It's a, they, they should go hand in hand and... Uh, uh, oh, fucking hell. Uh, <laughs> fuck my life. Um, they should enhance one another and be a sort of almost symbiotic relationship. Um, but at the same time, it's usually, no, CGI is better. Mm. CGI is cheaper. And both of those things are myths. They're not wrong, but they are myths. Yes. So let's talk about why we haven't seen any, or don't think we've seen any puppets on screen recently. Mm. So um, that myth is that in the 90s, when CGI became very real, as it were, mm-hmm. uh, with a handful of releases in, in 90s mm-hmm. blockbusters, and it was like, we can do anything with CGI. We we talk about this so much we on the show, right? Because mm. it's that you're so right. That kind of like decade ish from like essentially Jurassic Park from 1993 through to like two th- um, early mid 2000s, mm-hmm. where everybody thought CGI was just the be all end all, yes. and we can do fucking anything, mm-hmm. and that's how you get all the weird rubbery fights and mm. weightless bollocks and, and unnecessary bullshit we had then. And weirdly, that period when it was trumpeted so much there was still a lot of crossover with older like methods of filmmaking absolutely you know you look at something like uh lord of the rings or uh independence day or something and you're Mm -hmm. doing a lot of work with miniatures and you're doing a lot of work with matte painting stuff digital matte painting yeah Yeah, and uh and as we'll get around to puppetry and stuff Mm. like that Mm. the big suit is a puppet but but there was this sort of constant atmosphere of they do it all with computers now it's you know oh it's so easy yeah um and then you get to your early 2000s sort of around that you you can kind of see that a very good series for watching the transition is the mummy oh and going from yeah, the mummy yes. to the mummy returns very good point um that infamous scorpion king yes. reveal yeah, yeah and stuff like that and it's, it's, like it's, it's the transition as well to the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor with those fucking yetis. Oh, yes. yeah. Then you're like, oh, we've gone. And the Scorpion King, all this stuff is like, yeah, w- this can do everything. It's like, yeah, maybe it shouldn't. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it was very much the mindset in the, like, like Jack says, in the 90s into the 2000s. And then it became practice in the early 2000s through to your kind of 20, middle of the 2010s before there started to be an element of backlash. Yes, I think it. I think the backlash came in two waves, in my opinion. The first is what one of the only times I can bring this up as a cultural footprint moment of actual significance and influence. Avatar, James Cameron's Avatar. Oh, thank God, not M Night Shyamalan's no, no, Avatar. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, no, because the CGI in that and the mocap at the time, and to be fair, even now, was so impressive. Mm. That it's like, oh my god, computers actually can do- Wait, wait, if he can do this- We can do why literally everything, everything. Yeah, why does yeah, it all look yeah. shit, though? And then you get to say- Because couple- he took four or five years to make it. Yeah, it cost a fortune. And then he, yeah. 13 years to make the next one. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but the difference then became part of that backlash. A couple of years- or, Sorry, the, around the same time, Abrams does Star Trek. Mm. And then most importantly- Abrams does Star Wars mm. and makes a big fucking song and dance about how it's not CGI, it's a combination of practical, mm. puppetry, and CGI. And everyone went, I'm going to bang myself to death! 
Do you remember those original announcement things where Abrams is on the set in like the yep. desert thing mm. and you see BB-8 like roll behind him mm-hmm. and they're like, wait, what? Like, have, have they gone to the effort of CGIing the new droid in the background to do mm. the reveal? Yep. And then, no, that's a thing that actually rolls mm. around in real life. You're like, what the fuck? Because And then mm-hmm. you have like, oh, there's that big guy i guess like oh fuck it's simon Pegg. you find out later yeah yeah and then there's that like big yak camel looking mm. thing that's got like the it, it wobbles about mm. kind of it kind of looks prequely mm. but as you said matthew because you're veering away from the prequel like heavy reliance in yeah. those late 90s early 2000s reliance on cgi everybody was like oh <gasps> Practical effects are back. J.J. Mm. Abrams is going to save us all. Yeah. Little did we know. <laughs> I mean, Star Wars is kind of the industry in the nutshell, basically, yeah. where it, it started out and it was a heavy em- emphasis on practical effects, which meant for a lot of the creatures in it, puppetry and animatronics. And then you get to close of the 90s into the early 2000s, so much CGI chuck all those puppets out the window we don't need them anymore we're going full his jar jar his that dude who runs the weird 50s diner that exists on coruscant uh dexter jetster I, 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 I wanted to say that what and then i was know? like it can't be that because there's a director called dexter fletcher and that would be weird <laughs> you mean former games show host yes game uh games master, games master thank yeah. you yeah how did i forget games and master? and child actor yes indeed yeah and director yes. of uh Rocket Man. Yes. Um but and, and yeah, and then you get up to the modern day and yeah. there is a certain amongst a certain kind of film fan and a certain kind of fanboy, there is a prestige to using practical effects, but they are integrated so seamlessly with CGI that often we don't appreciate the practical nature of things because our brains have got so used to seeing everything as CGI and that sheen and polish is put on stuff in a way to make it more realistic but it also means that we're not seeing necessarily the artistry that we used to because everything's got that computer gloss mm-hmm. yeah there's definitely an element to there that that blend you're talking about because i think that is so key to so many people and we talk about him every other fucking episode just let's talk about guillermo del toro because obviously pinocchio just came out and got massively rave reviews and mm-hmm. oh look it's a blend of practical and CGI. And Del Toro is so hailed for his kind of championing of, of practical effects in the modern era mm. and really going against so much of that stuff. But we've talked about it on the show before. Something like Pan's Labyrinth. You're like, oh yeah, that's Doug Jones in a big suit and stuff. Like, yeah, but his knees are backwards. I think mm-hmm, we said this mm-hmm. like literally a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, might have been the patron. It was the patron. Yeah. Go and listen to that, patrons, if you haven't already. And if you're not, join us on Patreon. He was talking about hair and makeup and special effects and stuff, which two ties hours. very nicely into this for two hours. And like I said before, it's a full interseason episode. We don't just half ass mm. it. Two hours of us diving in. And we talk about the fawn in Pan's Labyrinth and the fact that if you see those behind the scenes things, you've actually got the, the green screen bit of Doug Jones's leg going backwards. You're like, the yeah, green, that is practical. Green socks. Yeah, the green screen socks. Exactly. Yeah, like they're like leggings going down. Yeah. So it's a blend of a practical suit and the fact that he is in that space and you've got the lighting and he can cast shadows naturally and all that kind of mm. stuff. But also just a little bit extra with the CGI. And that so much applies to a lot of the puppetry and stuff we see nowadays, whether that's just simply like taking out the strings. And that's something mm. I want to talk about in one of my picks in the second half mm. is it's something 
back from the 80s where they could not take the strings and support structures mm. out and all that kind of stuff and how they got around that nowadays it's the classic oh just fix it with cgi and when people do that well often you don't even notice mm. that's a real kind of masterpiece where you really think like oh wow it's all practical effects or you think it's cgi and it's actually practical effects or vice versa and it ends up being a blend of both turns out to be something really special unless it's jurassic world dominion <laughs> yeah it's just to, to drag us back to star wars it's not really a puppet in the strictest sense although maybe it is by some interpretation but one of the things is uh that i always think of is um ray in her little uh hut uh mm-hmm, on yeah. jakku where she has that bread that grows oh yeah that yeah. was a practical effect yeah yeah um that's a real thing they made and i yeah. that never would have crossed when i saw that in the cinema my brain was just like oh it's you know that's that's yeah. really good cgi yeah because it i'm we are so keyed now to expecting all of our special effects and visual effects to be done in that way. Especially in Star Wars. Especially after in Star Wars. the yeah. prequels have set that precedent, right? Yeah. Let's um let's let's do a bit of a metric here. So I, I very quickly I want to say that um there are some contemporary examples of puppetry and artistry which are trying to come through and then CGI has been put on top of them. Uh one example where it has worked terribly, we mentioned before in a previous season is the prequel of the thing. Mm, 2011's prequel, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. So we're doing all practical effects like in the original to honour it, and they're like, yeah, we want to make it look a little bit better. And as Tim mentioned, oh, that sheen is then on it, and it ruined it, it looked like shit CGI rather than actually a good effect. It was, a, it was fascinating. I mean, we talked about this mm. on the episode in Prequelizers back in season six. Goddamn, yeah. <laughs> it feels like a, an age ago and also not that long ago, which is a weird kind of... It was the start of the say. pandemic. Yes. God, it was, yeah. yeah. I, remember, I remember being sat at my desk doing the research for that fucking episode. <laughs> the most stressful episode I've ever done. Yeah. And yeah, those behind the scenes things, because hello, it's me. I did all that research and looked into it. And there are loads of clips on YouTube, like you said, Matt, of the guys originally doing all of the effects and the whole like the the two-headed body you see in the mm. 1982, which is obviously the, the sequel mm. to that. They set up how that works. And it's the creature like merging with a guy who's then like screaming on the floor behind him. And there's two heads like in perspective. And it was a really clever thing that like crawled over the top of the actual actor who was in another suit and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, yeah, but you could just smush it all together with CGI there, right? And oh yeah, they had this big crazy design for the alien in the ship at the end of the film. Mm. Spoiler alerts for a piece of shit prequel. <laughs> <laughs> but like, no, we want a big blue face screen thing, which is the worst looking thing in the entire fucking film. Yeah. And it's such a weird choice. But again, we were in that, era right and uh, if anything that's heading towards that era because talked about force awakens coming up in 2015 Mm -hmm. that's four years before this and i think we're at that kind of yes post avatar pre-force awakens thing we're like we can do anything with cgi again Mm. but now it really is that we can do anything Mm. james cameron proved it (laughs) he had the Mm. biggest budget in the history of the world Mm. yeah but um uh he had the biggest budget ever but we can do it too because you just press a button on a computer, right? Mm. And also, yeah. he's done all the hard work for us. Now we just get to reap the reward. He's pioneered yeah. the technology. Steal, steal his technology. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it's it's frustrating because it is just pure micro-meddling and tinkering. It's like, ah, it could be a bit better. It could be a bit better. Yeah. And, and as we now know, these things age very badly. Whereas the example of it being done well is Attack the Block, where you have mm. these uh, costumes and this puppetry that is enhanced with CGI, but not... I mean, for example, like these, these very dark, very, very simple, um, almost furry costumes. Yeah. And the CGI has been used to remove 
shadow. So they basically, uh, well, specifically lighting uh, reflection on you know the, the 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 detail to make them look like they're pitch, like they they're exist just in an, dark, an absence of light, yeah, this which is black amazing. hole of a creature. Yeah. Um, but let's let's do uh, as Tim mentioned a bit of a charting with Star Wars. Here. Mm. So Star Wars seventy seven, first film comes out. Um, it is a, a it is heralded as an, a visual spectacle um, in terms of locations and costumes and miniatures and sets and puppetry and early uh, digital effects. Yeah, that just as something as simple as the trench run mm. with that computer generated sequence. So mm-hmm. like this is in an era and we talked about Tron previously as well as another perfect example of like, yeah, there's computer generated effects in that that are rendered in real time yeah that, that is not a like cgi as we know it now where you can test and play around with like a funnily enough like a 3d puppet essentially and, <laughs> and and model things and shape things to your whim and, and motion capture and all that kind of stuff was not a thing in the 70s when things like tron and star wars were around so that trench run where you just see the tie fighter line up in his sights and all that kind of stuff yeah that was actually rendered in real time on a computer mm. for real that's that's the, the the CGI effect that really basic that's yeah. but the compositing is just different types of of yeah. of screen trickery but you have then empire strikes back and this is where i think we came with a transition because all the um types of creatures and things we see in star wars that makes it a fantastical universe that changes with yoda i think yoda changes pretty much fucking everything because they bring a Muppet into it. Muppets have been around for a decade. Well, not a decade, but quite a long time at this point. It's been, they started are, in the 70s. In the, yeah. yeah. So they, it, it was done in a way like, oh, we're going to bring this alien to life in this way. Not necessarily unusual, because in the 60s, the, like Star Trek and stuff, you would have had similar-ish sort of stuff. But it was a compelling, dynamic, and captivating performance that it felt real. You even have one of the most famous puppeteers and voice actors ever, Frank Oz. Yeah, being the voice of Yoda and and the performance, like, and the performance as well. Mm. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing I think a lot of people underestimate is when I, I feel like it's fairly obvious when you get to like Muppets and, and Sesame Street and the kind of like yes, where everything is puppets. You, you know there is oh, Kermit is sat on a bench or Miss Piggy is stood next to a thing because that's where the guy is where he's got his hand up his ass like film from the waist up. Yeah, <laughs> everything is filmed from the waist up. Oh, he's walking down the street. There's a shot of his feet. There's a shot of his top body. Yeah. And back to the feet. They're never in the same shot at the same time. And if they are, good luck editing out those those sticks and things. And maybe we'll touch on that later. Oh. <laughs> and yeah, the, the fact that like in all that, all the swamp scenes and stuff. Oh, yo, just sat on a log. Like, yeah, Frank Oz is squatting, un- like <laughs> lying down mm. with the log with his hand up Yoda's ass. Yeah. yeah. Or it's actually eight foot in the air yes on a on a sound stage and there's a hole underneath where frank oz is sat operating stuff the the trench run of empire strikes back is frank oz running to get to the next scene yes (laughs) pretty much (laughs) literally through a trench and something that i think people don't realize the scale of is another puppet in star wars Mm -hmm. jabba the hutt yep because Mm. again he turned into a big cgi slug monster later on so Mm -hmm. yeah Ignoring the fact that he started off as just a fat bloke in a waistcoat. But <laughs> he did. Trust he did, me. Yeah, go look did, it up. Yes. It's weird. I watched it accidentally as a kid and was very confused. Mm-hmm. And you see like four people operating Jabba the Hutt. You've got one person doing like expressions, mm. one person doing the mouth and tongue, mm. people doing the arms. Yeah. Also, Salacious Crumb is there and he needs to go yep. in the corner. So 
you have three or four different people and he's mounted on that throne mm. because that thing is chocked full of puppeteers yeah. basically it was the custom <laughs> thing that when uh, Leia uh, or Carrie Fisher specifically climbs over Jabba to, to kill yeah. him and strangle him mm. her heel went straight through and sort of pierced this guy yes. and goes, ah! <laughs> in the suit um, but again it, it, so Star Wars pioneers his stuff and throughout the 70s and 80s and we will definitely it's why I brought up the thing about the stuff about sorry Philip, I don't know if I'm necessarily calling out your age or not, but <laughs> there is a specific resonance because the 70s and 80s became puppet everything. Yeah. Even if you have like hints of CGI and certain things like, mm. you know, or, or, or miniatures um, in like E.T. Mm-hmm. or uh, weirdly enough, Indiana Jones, mm. the other big blockbusters at the time. Uh, Ghostbusters, for example, mm. like Slimer is a, is a puppet yeah. that's been composited in a certain mm-hmm. way. That's just how it's done. And and back then there was a lot of blending with the other kind of major thing that enabled you to do creature effects in that way, which mm-hmm. was stop motion animation. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, and you have a lot of films that are using a combination of stop motion animation for, you know, oh, here's the creature, you know, running across the kitchen and jumping up onto the side. And now we cut to a close up and now it's a puppet. Yes. And we're operating it or perhaps a, an animatronic which is basically a puppet. It's just a puppet operated in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we'll use that for the close up when when it's actually detailed. But because we've had that it moving across that space, you know, and possibly even you know, composited with with an actor going kind of going whoa, you know, <laughs> it, it it creates that sense of reality, and it's so much easier to believe it as when you're seeing the close up shot of it which is a much more detailed and, and in a lot of ways expressive because you've got a human performer being able to do that in real time and the actor react mm. to it. Combined with the stop motion, you it creates this real illusion. And obviously now we just CGI the whole thing. Exactly. And just to take Ghostbusters for a second mm-hmm. as an example, because you're right, Tim, I think it is, it is that uh, the combination of a lot of things at the top of their game at the time. Yeah. So the the scene at the top of the the skyscraper or the the, the tower block uh, at the end of Ghostbusters, you have stop motion uh, goes a dog. Yeah, things. yeah, the the, the oh, yeah, demon yeah. dog thing. You've got um, you know practical visual performances. You've got things. You've got the uh, the 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 giant suit for the mm-hmm. marshmallow Stay man. Puffed, yeah, you've got um, sort of rotoscoped visual effects being almost hand drawn on layer by yeah. layer. So it's a visual animation of these things, and it all looks fucking great as far as we're concerned. And then mm. on top of that, you know. The, the 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 proton packs being used that again is another yeah. one of those visual effects in that regards and it feels like peak it mm. feels like everything here is the industry's working at their best the stop motion is pretty goddamn smooth mm. the performances are good it all blends quite nicely as you say the hand off the baton mm. of like we're going to go from a large stage you know kaiju stomping around kind of thing mm. to a practical effect kind of thing we're going to mm. have the uh, edge of the stage is going to be a blue screen so we can composite that in later we've got the stop motion area here mm. that's going to interfere with the actors yeah. and so on. we've got matte paintings of new york in the background to make Absolutely. it look yeah yeah so it has layers and depths and it all feels like we're on the cusp of a change mm. and we were because literally a decade later or under a decade later um with cgi going we can do this on computers you know and it's like mm, no because as we will come back to later um it was a it was the go motion puppets which were informing the CGI models, mm. which were then informing how the performance was going to be done, in addition to tons of practical effects, which yeah. is why everyone said, 
we could do anything. And you see like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers moving going, oh my God, no, you cannot. Yeah. Or, or like Mortal Kombat Annihilation saying, fucking hell. Yeah. It's just reptile in the first Mortal Kombat film. Exactly. And at the time it was like, this must be good. And very quickly became, this is trash. Mm. Uh, hence that big turn back to, oh, well, let's go back to a combination of these things mm. firing on all cylinders. Really good CGI that's almost invisible, working with practical makeup and effects and chemistry, that kind of things where it's like, mm. this is actually believable. Mm. And it's, it's, all, it's almost always a case of the right tool for the right job. Absolutely. Because there are yeah, certainly definitely. effects, of course there are effects that puppetry and other forms of visual effects are just never going to make look as good as CGI can. Mm -hmm. um, there was a tweet recently um, that was, why does old movies' visual effects still hold up? Mm. Like, you know, in any generic movie that you want to put in it, Ghostbusters, yeah. etc. And it's shot design, planning and organisation, taste, sticking to a plan, appropriate timeline, small volume of work, and appropriate budget. <laughs> 100%. And those, and though, if you stick to those principles, those will carry you through, no matter mm -hmm. what tools you're working with. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you know, there's there's been a lot of discussion about, for example, Marvel and how uh, Kevin Feige likes to he has approval over every single effect shot and yeah. wants to see them in finished yeah. form, not previs. And uh, I believe the term she is, Hulk made a joke about that. Yeah, I believe the term is pixel fucking. <laughs> um and because they like to because executives like no we want different options we want to be able to see this in but we also want it in finished quality you're putting so much work whereas if you put in the time beforehand and go like this is what the shot is going to be we have a clear vision for this thing yeah, yeah. i worked um, at an animation studio if the amount <laughs> of money you lose on like okay can you change this it's like once we've been approved at this stage, we are not going back. Yeah. Because it is literally like ripping it all up and starting again. You will lose so much money and time. Like, oh, yeah. whatever. It's like, <laughs> mother. Yeah. And that, again, gets us to a very interesting point back to Star Wars. And, and I also think there is a certain amount of a relic in that thinking of earlier days. Because when you did have a puppet, you know, even it, A, you could get multiple takes very easily yep. you know and go like actually you know what we're going to move the camera over here we think we've got a better angle we think we're that 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 shot composition i've just noticed you know we have these physical things here i've just noticed that shot composition is much more interesting because it frames that thing in that way yeah and so you can do that or worst case scenario doing reshoots you go we've still got that puppet haven't we great <laughs> bring it out again Whereas if you're doing that in CGI and you go, actually, we want the shot to be from over here. It's like, well, I have to recreate the entire digital environment yeah. from scratch mm. and light it again and do all these things again. You're like, it doesn't exist. So I have to build it. Yeah. We, know, we know now people follow like people follow like around with color charts and that big orb that has two different sides yeah, of yeah. dull and a metallic sort of side. Just so you can get the lighting composites. It's like, yeah, this has to be plotted out and methodically. Mm. I mean, um, if you think, uh, I know it's TV, but uh, there's lots of behind the scenes about the the use of thing, the hand in oh, Wednesday. Yes, mm. and it's like, yeah, because every time you do the shake, you have to track it multiple times with with the CGI to see how the camera's going to move. But as I say, I wanted to bring it back to to George Lucas and Star Wars again because of the prequels, because of Episode One specifically. Mm -hmm. The reason Episode One looks better than the other fucking prequels, um, namely because Lucas. Yeah, he'd been involved in stuff, but this was his big return to, oh, it's another Star Wars, it'd be great. 
and he people just, kind of forget that George Lucas pretty much just directed Star Wars for the second half of his, well, like the latter nine tenths of his career, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah, and didn't do anything between the Star Wars is really not really. Yeah, in and terms he, of directing. And the biggest points about Star Wars, are like, uh, he didn't do as indirect two of the biggest ones. Yeah, in his original trilogy because um, he was burned out from the first one which mm-hmm. I respect and I understand yeah so the first one comes sorry the pre- episode one comes around and he's got well well I'll just I'll just do the things I did in the, in the previous films I was waiting for the impression yeah <laughs> I, like I saw you th- I literally saw you the think motion. about it you went <laughs> you turned into George yeah you, w- you wound your neck in and got got your weird little beard out <laughs> pop it in it they're gonna come back again the empire's back well, what's it? Something about trade route. Uh, <laughs> but the point is that um, it's like, okay, what are we getting this time? It's like, well, we're going to do the same thing we did in the seventies. Oh, what did you do in the seventies, George? Well, we uh, winged it. Yeah, fucking <laughs> burned myself out. Revolutionized everything. Yeah. yeah. And so subsequently, I remember he he would get people down on the set of episode one and say, "We're doing this. We're doing this." And he'd get like Cameron and and um, Spielberg. Spielberg and other yep. friends and things. Say, like, "Look what I'm look what I'm doing." Um, <laughs> And the interesting thing was when he showed every time. he showed a, a a a model of the uh the droids mm. as in the, the, the battle droids, droids. battle droids yeah and he he said gleefully to Spielberg we don't have any of these I've just made this up to show it to you so what do you mean he said, but the leg fell off it and he said oh I said no he said don't worry because he, he said it can't stand up he said don't worry it'll be CGI it'll all be CGI but he was still doing a frontier thing of not knowing what the fuck he was talking about <laughs> because he was like. And we're doing a thing with Jar Jar, the most, what did he say? The most uh, hilarious character in all of Star Wars. Yes. Um, uh, the funniest character we've ever had. And he's like, I don't know how we're going to do this. <laughs> he's so, like racial stereotypes, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we'll shoot it three or four different ways. So what do you mean? Well, we'll shoot it where he's not there. And we'll have Ahmed Best doing his other performance yeah. with this fucking reference footage, which yeah. ended up being useless to them because they, they, they was useful for the performance. But it's bad because they, could, they couldn't extract him in the way that they did with Gollum, for yeah. example, a couple of years later. But the key thing was they brought Yoda back. I want to bring back the Yoda again. And that Yoda... That flippy little bastard. Well, at that point in episode one, he wasn't. Oh, true. No, because yeah, he, he was a, a puppet. Just, just the Jedi Council. Mm. And he was and a puppet. And I remember Samuel Jackson was interviewed saying, I'm sitting here with Yoda. It's like, mm. no, you're not. Who the fuck is this? <laughs> what is this? And it's like young Yoda and stoned ass looking yaddle. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was... Bullshit, because it was like you've de-aged him too much. Basically, it doesn't mm, feel yeah. like, even if it's Frank Oz in the performance, it doesn't feel right because he's still eight hundred and eighty at that point. <laughs> yeah, but apparently felt different. So Ma- makes came, all the difference. Yeah, when it came around to the 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 sequel to Attack of the Clones, Lucas has said, "Oh my god, I could have done all this with CGI," and it's his first film where every single shot is a digital shot. Mm. Every single one of them has some adjustment somewhere. There's almost there's there's less and less practical, more blue screen, more shit like that. And there's like it almost looks like a motion capture stage. What mm, you see in like modern mm, video games now, mm. where you do a lot of that big budget stuff. Uh, big like, empty warehouse. Yeah, big empty warehouse. They're all wearing like pinball suits mm. and stuff, and it's just everything's made out of foam or blue. And you see the sets, I guess, is <laughs> one better phrase of episode two and episode three. Like, oh, it's a hallway in Coruscant. It's a hallway in Naboo. Yeah. It's a field with that cow bug testicle <laughs> creature, testicle monster. Yeah, none of that's real. None of, they're just staring at a blue wall and then they're rolling around in blue and then, oh, they're sat on blue and looking out the window at 
blue. Mm. None of the windows are real. Yeah. Nothing is real. Mm. Which is, to a degree, impressive. Mm. Because it is different. Yeah. But it also ages so quickly. And mm. then you get like the Yoda thing. of like, oh, Yoda looks more like Yoda now. Except he's also CGI. Except you get to the point where in the previous films, when Yoda's all over the fucking shop mm. and Frank Oz is just doing his great performance where he's like, I'm so old and dying. Or, oh, I'm a bit younger, a bit more sprightly. I'll turn to Samuel Jackson. What do you think, Samuel Jackson? <laughs> um, and it's like, this is good. Um, Always oh, two there are. Oh. Except there's the Widowmaker shot. And the Widowmaker shot is very, very important. For this episode about puppetry is very important because... In the making of the Attack of the Clones, there is one line which is begun. The Clone War has, mm. and they did so many revisions because yeah. Lucas would make so many fucking adjustments, and they had to think about this is how Frank's hand would be in the puppet. They're mm. trying to replicate this with CGI, mm. and they're spending so much money and so much time, and yet, okay, you got a flippy frog moment where he gets to do some lightsaber stuff mm. with a fake Christopher Lee, but you're like, to, to reference earlier. Could we not have just dug the fucking puppet out? Mm. Then you get to obviously, you know, third film and it's the same shit. And then you get to, I'm racing ahead here, but you get to Ryan Johnson with The Last Jedi. Yeah. Mm. And what is it? They dug out the fucking puppet. (laughs) The exact same one. And they just put the blue force ghost shit all over it. And everyone went, oh, it it feels right. It's like, yeah, because it's Frank Oz and a puppet. And it's like, it feels good because he's like, and he's fucking wiggling his feet around. Mm. And I think that's the thing that people forget and underestimate is that when you are dealing with a puppet it is a performance there is a performer sometimes it's a team of people but often especially for smaller things there is a single performer who is driving that performance or leading you know maybe if they've got like a couple of other people helping them out but they are leading that team and dictating the performance of the character in the same way that an actor performs yeah when you have CGI, because it is so labor intensive, you might, if you're a special effects artist working on that character, you might only work on that character who shows up, you know, who might show up throughout the film for 10 seconds of footage of them, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you're off on a different part of the project. You're creating a dust storm or something around the, you know, something else or whatever. And so it anonymizes the whole thing. And so it's much harder. Obviously, we have motion capture and stuff like that, and that you do get performances that are captured in that sense. It, you know, for your average CGI character, if they're not, especially if they're not being motion captured, if they're just, oh, we, we need a monster, throw a monster in there and have it do stuff. And, and this is not uh, in any way a slight against the skills because the, the people who do CGI animation are extraordinary artists. But, because of the nature of it, you don't have that single performer driving the thing in the same way that a puppeteer can. I agree. And I think it's also a question of megalomaniacal producers and directors. Oh, yes, absolutely. Where you end up with them saying, for example, if you were to do, oh, we filmed this puppet and it's done a thing, like, oh, it looks a bit rubbery. That's ah, fucking fine. It looks good. It's, it, I, I believe it's a thing. It's a scary ghost. It's a thing. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a little friendly alien friend. or Who the yeah. fucking cares? In the same way, it's like, oh shit, that performance is a bit out of sync because that actor didn't know what they were, you know, wasn't going to line up with the shots. Yeah. And it was, it, it, it's two thirds of the way through the film, but it was the first day of shooting and they're still like finding their feet in who the Precisely. character is. Yeah. yeah. And so you end up with this thing where like, do we change it? It's like, 
change change what the character's fucking expression yeah no we just do a cutaway to something else it'll be fine or we'll, we'll cut it short or just leave yeah. it it works same thing with puppetry but with the cgi it gives you the um illusion that you can keep making changes yeah but in the same way that cutting your own hair just, <laughs> i'll just take another little bit off oh hang on, oh, fuck i'll just level the other side and yeah. you're like that's how you end up bald um <laughs> and well, that's not how I ended up bald. Oh, okay. Hereditary <laughs> was an origin story. Right <laughs> no, but I used to cut my own hair as well. And that was the case of like, um, I mean, I still cut my own hair technically. Mm. Um, but it's the idea that <laughs> you, you, um, you, you do, you, you think, oh, I know what I'm doing. Or you, or you I, I don't do this very much. But if you have ever drawn something or sculpted or made a painting, you have to at some point say it's done. Yeah. And with CGI, because it is literally digital painting, there's always some fucker who's going to say, can we just... Uh, no, <laughs> no, we can't because you don't get to, you don't have yeah. the time to say that in the production stage where you got all the studio times being paid for. The actors are there, the puppeteers are there, everything's going. You got like fifteen mm. minutes till lunch. Let's go. Let's get the fucking performance. That works. Cut. Move on. But in post, you're like, eh, we haven't released the whole film yet. Might as well just crack on and piss around with it some more. Yeah. Um, and and that's where you lose some of that magic. And then you know to get to the Force Awakens and uh you know um last jedi and 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 to a degree rises skywalker though it seems to be he just sort of lost it at some point there <laughs> you get that sort of there is a and i i, I was one of the critics who was a, a, aptly um uh praising them for this because i i still think it's worth lauding um the idea is like yeah good that means your film will look better and last longer mm. because it is the combination of these multiple skills at no point do we ever go hang on a minute that lightsaber isn't real because now, especially, it's a combination of practical and digital effects. Mm. So much so, but it's like this is this is just you know mind blowing. It's it's we just tell ourselves it's real, and then you see another character go, "That's just real. That's just how it is." I mm. believe that. Um, but again, I don't think this means there will be a huge resurgence. Because as much as we can talk about, there is um, artistry and craft and. Uh, an importance to it and it is a tool in the toolbox it's not one people will reach for often because it's also not a uh, a skill set and a talent that is readily available i think on one of the previous episodes i think jack was saying about how there's more astronauts than foley artists yes mm. i can't imagine how many fucking puppeteers there are that aren't working mm. for fucking disney through muppets and everything else mm, yeah. sesame street and things like that already because it's it's a very you don't go into it like thinking i'm gonna do this so mm. it's a very niche career yeah, definitely. um and subsequently the industry is still not i mean yes okay it's more like more uh more arms you can mm-hmm, ah. uh, more levers there we go you ah. can, that you can pull on ah. uh-huh. but at the same time yeah. it's not gonna be like don't worry cgi is dead bring back the fucking puppets yeah weirdly enough just to jump in here i found out one of my neighbors is a puppeteer the other day I was oh like, cool in in 2023 like, <laughs> is that solely because the person came to like floating at your window with a fucking puppet <laughs> not quite but uh we have a couple next door to us and i met the other person who's not the puppeteer first and they said oh yeah the puppet my, you mean my pu- yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you met the puppet in the street <laughs> <laughs> my partner my partner like Leaning what? over the fence, you know, just <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I said like they work in theatre or something like oh, that, yeah. and I was like, oh, cool, oh yeah, like oh, they must be an actor or like they work in like set design or costume design or whatever it is. And then Emma met the other partner, the puppeteer, a few days later, and was like, did you know they're a puppeteer? I was like, 
what do you mean? What, <laughs> where? How? Well, well, I mean, literally... what job do they have in Norwich in 2023? We have a puppet theatre here in Norwich, yeah. so it's like. <laughs> I guess there at the end of this road, where well, technically where I live on, it's like there is a theatre which is actually quite. You just doxed yourself there, man. I'm joking. No, I haven't. Um, <laughs> the, the end of the road where I live on, roughly thereabouts, is a a theatre which does quite well, which mm. is called the Puppet Theatre, and yeah. it does only puppetry stuff. So there is still a a demand in in some form, yeah. Yeah, and they live next to you. <laughs> um. Yeah, and I think I think they're. I can imagine that the trend will slightly increase because I think there's, as we've talked about it being a generational thing of, you know, oh, yeah. it's only 80s slash 90s kids will remember kind of thing. We're now getting to the age, just like we're hitting people of our generation being in kind of creative roles of getting into kind of being directors and stuff like that. A, li- a few years down the line, you're going to have people who are then in powerful positions of being producers and stuff like that. Mm. And they will presumably have more of an openness to saying like, oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah, bring in a puppet. That's good. It used to look great. I can sell this as a toy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, is the other thing. But you're completely right in the, have we killed off that skill set or killed it off as a viable kind of career when, you know, there's so many more people who are going to be training to be CGI artists and, you know, that, that whole realm of things. And there will be a lack of people who, even if there is a growing demand for it from directors or producers, you then have to worry about like, yeah, but have we got the talent pool to fill that? Yeah. Um, it, it's supply and demand, literally. But I think, the, 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 again, the talent is always there. So, And I'm sure that there are presumably plenty of out-of-work puppeteers who would love the chance to yeah. work on something in a film or have been working on smaller budget stuff or mm-hmm. in local puppet theatres uh, <laughs> and, you know, are ready for the call-up to the big leagues. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we should say, you know, we focused mostly on kind of three-dimensional puppets so far. There is mm. a whole various realms of, like, different genres or mediums of puppetry, yeah, I guess. Yeah. You know, we haven't, uh, uh, and most of them tend to be not used in film as much. Um, stuff like shadow puppets and things like that. Simply... Which is usually emulated with CGI. Yes, especially mm. nowadays. But, you know, it is this incredibly broad category of, you know, and that stretches back. You know, we haven't done our usual thing of kind of going, oh, the history of puppetry um because a it's absolutely huge and none of us are particular experts um i need to ask my neighbor apparently well yeah even in the history of puppetry if you think of it as a book i'd say you'd get a fair few big chapters on film but it's not the central focus Mm. oh no absolutely not no if it's you know it's something that has been used throughout the ages as a way of representing Mm. characters um and scenery and stuff and you think of you know from Punch and Judy shows on British, you know, seaside resorts God, to, yeah. you know, amazing intricate shadow puppets from places like India and, and the Middle East. Absolutely. Um, so there's a huge spectrum of stuff that's only barely touched on by film. And, and what we see tends to be of that very kind of like, well, it's either got to be a cute alien or an evil alien, <laughs> uh, you know, and we're going to make it using a puppet. And that, mm-hmm. you know, there's far fewer and i think you know we'll we'll we cover a fair few 
distinct genres amongst our picks. Yeah, no Pinocchios. But there tends to be... It tends to be used to represent the fantastic. It is much rarer. They do exist, you know, stuff like Anomalisa. Um, Mm, Yeah. You know, you do get puppet dramas and puppet romances and stuff like that. Um, John John Cusack in uh, Being John Malkovich. Yes. Yes. is a puppeteer with a creepy little puppet. Yeah. And he's hideously out of work because of it. Yes. Um, And that was 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, there are serious films that use puppets in, <laughs> in a in a in a serious sense and not in the just kind of like look at this weird thing it is a genuine method for storytelling that you know yeah. is, is is as much a, a medium as animation or something like that yeah as said earlier it's a tool yeah it's just an underutilized one at present yeah i mean i think the example i could give because the thing is the industry may be leaning towards returning to certain things but it's not there yet and i think one of the biggest examples that is film adjacent fucking star wars again (laughs) Uh, it's grogu yeah oh yeah baby yoda for those who who want a different phrasing yes because the child yes that was a temporary thing Mm -hmm. and it was like Werner Herzog's like do it keep the keep the baby as an actual doll you cowards (laughs) and it's like yeah he did the whole like I am here with the baby. I am doing an interview. Here is the baby. Like, there it is. As with Weird. so many things, Werner Herzog was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and they were like, we're not going to do it. We're going to CGI all over it. It's like, in Herzog, don't. we trust. <laughs> yeah, and, and they didn't in the end. They, and because people sold it, I mean, obviously you still have CGI moments moving, as we mentioned yeah. before. Exactly as you mentioned with the uh, stop motion stuff, Tim. Puppet, puppet, puppet. It needs to go over there. CGI, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> puppet, puppet, puppet again. Um, and it, it's a question of like the illusion, as I say, of that control we mentioned earlier, mm. you know, how much you can do with it. But if you go to like um, a very strange example, but a very real one, people want to have that experience. You can't, they, when they presented the Oscars for uh, best visual effects or something, mm. and they had Gollum on stage, mm. obviously people in the audience were seeing fucking nothing. Yeah. It was going to be broadcast that you'd see Gollum and Smeagol having an argument about who's won the Oscar or whatever the fucking would be. Yeah, uh, and it was very cool. It's a nice little bit. Um, but as a uh, audience, you want to connect with something real. You want a little figure. Mm. You want a little statue. You want a little something you couldn't tangible. Mm. And puppetry gives you that more than CGI does. No matter how mm. good the CGI is, it cannot do the same. Um, and so subsequently, if you go to whatever the fuck it's called in Disney. Get a faraway galaxy beyond thingy fucking what is Ga- it? Galaxy's Edge. That's it. Galaxy yeah. Quest. <laughs> um, that thing. Galaxy's Edge. That was the parody films, Matthew. Yeah, had some puppets in them. Um, oh yeah, and and CGI. And when you go around and you see like the Mandalorian, for example, they have a little Grogu, mm. and the little Grogu is a little puppet mm. and moves around and stuff. And it's like, yeah, and you feel it's real. Yeah. And if it was just a CGI character, this this puppet substitute would be like, yeah, it doesn't feel right. Doesn't think it feels wrong. Hmm. This is why they should let the Muppets present the Oscars. Have they not done that already? No, really. I think they. I think they've presented a category. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. yeah. 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 I, I'm actually okay with that. I'm also still very much up for a puppet. Uh, oh, sorry, a Muppets uh, knives out. Yes. Thing <laughs> would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, you know, and I think we we haven't really talked about Muppets yet. I mean, we've talked about Jim Henson. 
creations i think we've touched on a, a couple of yes, times yeah but, arguably the big name in cinematic puffetry right? yes, like, yes. Yeah. um him and frank Oz, funny enough. but i think Stan winston yeah and sam winston yeah there's a reason that those characters have the enduring appeal that they have and it's because you know the the muppet christmas carol is so mm. many people's favorite christmas film right here buddy well not christmas film but definitely that version yeah, of yeah. That, that that thing's been adapted so many times yeah like a hundred and something times and it's the best version and we talk about the knives out thing of like mm. replace everyone but one actor with yes. muppets it's yeah like, what just a brilliant simple yeah. fucking concept of the only real person is michael kane yeah and he's taking it very seriously yeah and, but but we want to see that interaction yeah. between the humans and the muppets yeah. because mm-hmm. we know because people talk about it that when you're there and you're performing with the muppets you completely forget that the characters are not alive yeah, yeah. you know and you can find so many interviews of people who've worked on the muppet show or on sesame street and you know guested on it as as celebrities or whatever and they just say yeah like you know everybody gets in position and you get you come on set and you know that you you meet the person who's operating the puppet and you go oh hello you know nice to meet you and then they all get set up and then they start performing and within about 30 seconds you've forgotten that you're not speaking to elmo yeah. because that character and their the the life that they bring to them is so vital and so genuine and immediate and immediate yeah. and and you have that instant feedback that you're that you will never have with a cgi character that you can just be like yeah okay i'm just talking to elmo yeah cue uh ian mccallan crying on the set of the hobbit yes yeah exactly yeah and sesame street is such an interesting thing to touch on because we're talking about the henson company and how influential that's been and everybody grew up on that shit right it's been around for 50 years at this point mm. so when you're acting next to or you see the Muppets in real life or the Sesame Street crew in real life, you have that like, oh, my God, it's just like a TV show. <laughs> oh, Elmo's actually here in front of me. Oh, my God, that's a real thing. Holy shit. And you even get those moments, the the kind of famous outtake moments where the puppeteers and actors stay in character. Mm. And Elmo's like, oh, man, I really need a shit. And all yeah. this kind of stuff. And like, then they do like the almost like, dvd commentary style stuff mm. of like so how much are you getting paid for this thing yeah. like, oh, you're getting paid more than me you bastard and all this kind of stuff like there's that ridiculous kind of like you said it's that weird it's so real it then becomes like surreal almost mm. where you know that there's a person behind that but this thing is moving in such a believable way and because you grew up on that kind of stuff and i know my mum famously i say famously i've uh, adopted it from me yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My mum regularly reminds me how much I loved Sesame Street growing up. And it would be the thing that would like force me to eat my lunch as a kid. I'd be like, I'll turn off Sesame Street. And I'd be like, oh God, no, I'm no, 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 no. I'll just I, eat my lunch as quickly as possible. I had a period as a child of uh, saying Z like an American, of course, <gasps> not Z. Because that's, Z. Yeah, because that's what they said on yeah. Sesame Street. I will still go one, two, three, four, five, six, six seven, eight, eight, nine, ten, ten eleven, eleven, twelve. 12. Shit's just in your fucking head. But it is interesting how that is reflected in the fact that Sesame Street hasn't changed. It's mm. still fucking puppets. Yep. It's still really successful. People yep. still fucking love it. Yep. Yeah. Um, but the difference is that's not going to change. Whereas you get a new adaptation of something like Dark Crystal or Willow. I know, again, I know these are TV things at the minute, but 
That's the difference. It's almost, it, for lack of a better word, relegated to TV mm. because it's cheaper. Yes. Mm. Which again dispels the myth we start right at the start of this, which is, well, just do it CGI because it's cheaper. It's like, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> if you're good, and, and, and Tim, you put up that list earlier, which is perfect. If you have the right planning, the right time, mm. the right dedication, yeah. give people the resources they need, you won't hit this problem. Yeah. The thing that CGI is, is non-unionized. That's what it is. That's Ooh, it. Yikes. And even things like, you want to bring a Sesame Street character into your thing, chances are it's going to be the same person who has played Big Bird for 40 fucking years. Like, Mm-mm. Carol played Big Bird for decades. Mm, yeah. Jim Henson played Kermit for decades. Mm. Brian Henson has played Kermit and passed it down through the generations mm. and stuff like they so embody these characters. I know um, interviews with Jim Henson, he talked about, because he originally debuted Kermit in a thing called Sam and Friends, which predates mm. the Muppets and all that kind of stuff. But then Kermit, he describes Kermit as his alter ego, almost less of a character he's playing, but this this character that he embodies and is just, like you said, Tim, and, and you see people talk about this in interviews, when Kermit's there, it's Kermit, and you forget Oh fuck! I was talking to Jim Henson. Obviously, <laughs> rest in peace, Jim, Jim Henson. Not anymore. I, mean, I was talking like, so much shit about Jim Henson to Kermit, <laughs> and I, just, I completely forgot. What they do that as well, right? Like I said, when you see the behind the scenes things, and Kermit will be like, "Oh boy, Jim Henson's a real asshole," right? Yeah. And it's like, "Oh yeah," and then the, breaks the fourth wall and all that kind of stuff. And I find it fascinating that because it is such a dedicated craft, and as we said earlier, I would guess there are very, very few professional puppeteers in the world right now because of the advent of CGI and because of how the industry has moved so much over the last few decades, that you get people who dedicate themselves to this one craft and are fucking masters of the same thing for decades and decades and decades. And even people we've already talked about, the Hensons, Frank Oz, Stan Winston, all these people we've talked about previously, we talked about a bit in our Patreon episode as well. Yeah, They're going to come up in the second half as well, because these motherfuckers are all over the place. I was about to they say they define this part of the industry mm. so much because they're masters of their craft, and there are so few of them. And as I said, half the people I've just mentioned have passed away, so there's even fewer of them around these days. Yeah, very, very, very niche speciality industry sort of uh, department, as it were. And and if you're sitting there thinking this is weird, we've also seen a lot of CGI talk and uh, a lot of puppet illusion stuff, but they haven't mentioned some of the biggest names, biggest stuff, biggest things. It's like yeah, because we're going to get to that. The second we'll half is talk about it. very much going to be that stuff. Don't Welcome worry. to the interseason, folk. If you've not had it before. <laughs> what are words? But the puppets <laughs> of your mouth. And, and what is an audiobook but a puppet show of words? In your ears. As a writer, I'm so fucking offended. <laughs> You're a puppeteer, Matthew. You're of a words. puppeteer of words. I mean, I use my hands, I guess. <laughs> um, and if you enjoy puppet shows, then Audible is exactly the right app for you. Or service, app, both. It's a library of audio content, both books, podcasts, uh, comedy specials, fitness, meditation, all kinds of puppet shows for your ears. <laughs> and you can get a month's free membership of Audible and a free book by signing up using audibletrial.com slash sequel. And uh, we like to, to give a little recommendation. And uh, why not, as we've just been talking about him, check out 
Jim Henson, the biography hey. by oh. Brian Jones, uh, as narrated by Kirby Hayborn. Definitely thought you were about to say Kermit the Frog here. Uh, unfortunately not. Uh, innovator, I, it would be after a while. Innovator, genius, legend. Jim Henson was a talent like no other. Uh, are are you the person reading the book? <laughs> unfortunately not. I wish it? I had a side That'd side hustle. Um, but yes, uh, an, an extraordinary life. Uh, I really, ho- I have not listened to this book, uh, but I really hope it goes into the fact that they used the Muppets to smuggle LSD over to England. <laughs> um, Probably does. Uh, but yes, uh, a great book, a very interesting read, I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, you can get it for free by going to audibletrial.com slash sequel, where you will get a month's free membership for free on us and a free audiobook of your choice, be it Jim Henson's biography or any other book. And even if you cancel your membership, you get to keep that book. It's yours in perpetuity. A puppet show for your ears. Thanks to us and Audible, a library of puppets. (laughs) Us and Audible. Us. And also Audible. I feel like the heavy lifting's been done by one party there. Mostly us. Yeah. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to kick us off into the second half. Jack, are we going to allow that? <sighs> yeah, we're allowing it. Yeah. I feel like it's rare for me to, to Pu- start one of these. Puppets say yes. Yeah. Puppets yeah. say yes. Yeah. yeah. We Pu- looked at the puppets. They're nodding along. Puppets together strong. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we've just been talking about him, uh, or them, the Muppets. And I feel like one of us had to pick a Muppet for our, you know, one we wanted to highlight. And I've gone for in many ways the most archetypal the 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 one we perhaps think of first kermit mhm uh, as puppeteered and voiced so memorably by jim henson and now has been passed on to brian henson but i didn't just want to pick kermit because it's it's a wonderful performance it's consistently so good um across both the muppet show and obviously into the films and I I love Kermit when Kermit is being Kermit. I love Kermit when Kermit is being Bob Cratchit and various other... I can't remember the name of his character in Muppet Treasure Island. I'm doing the thing where I'm scanning the floor. It's, um... Hang on, I can do this. Fucking hell! Kermit in a naval uniform is what his character's name is. Smollett. Smollett. There we go. Anyway. Please don't leave all that shit in. (laughs) Dead air and nonsense. Um, I I love every version of Kermit. And and I think... he plays such a a central role in the kind of anarchic spirit of the Muppets of the kind of the sane man trying to hold it all together, except he's actually crazy too. Yeah. I like that description. Um, But the, and so obviously it's it's a wonderful performance, no matter the, what format it is presented in, but I wanted to highlight a very specific example, which is from 1979's the Muppet movie. Mm. And it is Kermit riding a bicycle because they had finished doing the Muppet Show, I think, on season five, um, and Jim Henson was very keen to push into new realms, both in terms of okay, we're moving from television to cinema, but also let's see what we can achieve with a slightly higher budget. Let's not just kind of be happy with what we've already done in the past. And so they created multiple different versions of Kermit on a bike, so that you they could shoot him riding along like a human would which is very difficult when it's a puppet yeah and normally he is being operated by someone's 
hands, essentially. <laughs> um, and so he, he's mounted essentially on this miniature version of a, a Schwinn bicycle. Um, a lot of it's done. They they built various different scales of this puppet, and some of it is done in close up with Jim Henson underneath on like a, 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 a essentially a little cart riding along and you can see the bike and you can see Kermit operating the bike but Jim Henson is is down below but in motion um which was a tricky thing to shoot but the even trickier shot is when it pulls back and you've just got this shot of Kermit riding on a bicycle and the way they did that is essentially you know most of the puppets that we've talked about are being operated from below we haven't really talked about marionettes, which in mm, many ways is the classic yeah. kind of puppet, the Pinocchio style of puppets, yes. mm-hmm. where you have the strings coming down from above. And that is essentially how Kermit on the bike works, is that they've attached him to the bicycle so that, you know, the it's not his feet driving the pedals, it's the pedals driving his feet, you know, and obviously with, with yeah. careful articulation and put in there and stuff so it doesn't just look like a puppet strapped to a bike. But there are there was a crane hanging over the top with, I think, a, a team of puppeteers all working with very thin cables to move him and move the bike mm-hmm. along as they were doing this tracking shot all on kind of a big moving rig. And it's one of those things that you, you kind of start thinking about and you go, oh, of course, that's how they did it. It, it makes sense. But that illusion is so perfect. And it, and it so plays into that spirit of the Muppets that we were just talking about where you completely forget that these characters are puppets. And this is just another step of that, because you already have the illusion of the performance, where you know the characters so well, and they're so full of life and personality. And this is just another step of, well, now we're seeing them do something. We know, we, on a certain level, you can watch Kermit, and although it goes to the back of your mind so quickly, you're like, oh, he's behind a wall because there's a puppeteer down there. But then you see this and you go, well, how the fuck are they doing that? Oh, it's because Kermit's alive. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> you know, and it's it's just adding to that illusion and solidifying that in our brain that these aren't puppets, they're just characters. Yeah, um, I think that shot in particular is the perfect example because, like I said, we all grew up with Muppets and Sesame Street and all that shit, and we know how this stuff works. You're totally right. Oh, yeah, you know... Yoda is sat there, or Elmo is sat there, or Kermit is sat there mm. on a box, yeah, or on a lifted platform because there's a bloke underneath or a person there's, underneath with the thing. There's then, a reason Oscar the Grouch lives in a bin. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get a shot like this that just subverts your expert. Just when you think you've got the Muppets figured out, yeah, Kermit goes. I'm a real boy now, yeah, yeah, and starts cycling. You're like, hold on, and wait, what the yeah. fuck? And it, but I can see the wheels, and I can see his feet. Yeah, how are his feet? Oh my god, he's it, alive! It proved so success. Like people were so blown away and loved it so much that it's come back in multiple Muppet movies. Yes, I think it's the Great Muppet Caper. They have like multiple Muppets on like uh, uh, what are they called? Tandem bicycles, yep. all riding along. And I think it's shown up in other, a few other films as well because it's just that enduring thing of like, oh look, he's riding a bike. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's that question of like not just being satisfied with oh we've got more money 
well, we'll embezzle that. We'll yeah. keep that. It's like, no, we're going to try and do something unique. Yeah. Um, like, like you mentioned, the um, Muppet Christmas Carol. Mm. They have that rolling... Oh, I love that shot as well. Every, every yeah. like, so it's, it's Cratchit and Italian Tim walking home and they've got yeah. the, 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 the sort of like rolling street thing. Mm. It's, it's just it's not a mi- It's a miniature street yes. and the, they're essentially on like a rolling almost treadmill type thing yeah. where mm. the ground is moving underneath them and they're just padding like on. Tap dancing home. Tap dancing yeah. on the yeah. spot, yeah. It's like how, and also one's on the other one's shoulder. It's like, how are you doing this? Yep. And that's the point, Tim. You're right. It's to present an illusion that the audience is going to love and just go, ah, oh, he's real. That's it's what a it is. fucking magic now. trick, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You think you're presenting one thing and you're like, oh, you think you've got a suster. The card is behind your ear. You're like, wait, what? Oh, the <laughs> fuck did they do that? I thought I've seen this yeah. trick before. Mm. And you get to that point with these puppets and again, because we know Muppets so well, they've been around for so fucking long. You know, you know the trick. Mm. We all know that there's a guy under there who is puppeteering the thing, but there can't be. That's, that's not how that works. Yeah. How is that allowed? And bringing it back to, like you said, a, a predecessor of that, a precursor of that, and actually having it puppeteered from the top, which makes just, just oh, it's like Occam's Razor type thing. We're like, well, of course, fucking course that's how they did yeah. it. But <laughs> when you're looking at it, you think, <gasps> he's possessed <laughs> Kermit is alive uh, yes so obviously we had to pick a Muppet and I thought that was a fine first choice I you picked I agree. the Muppet I picked excellent the choice Muppet. Jack let's come to you for our next pick weirdly enough I'm going to also talk about something that is puppeteered from the top and it's not something I'm going to say I'm going to say a thing and I'm going to be like what the fuck are you talking about I'm going to talk about the alien queen from Aliens. <laughs> nice. Because it's a puppet, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen. It's a puppet. It's a big puppet. fucking puppet. And the segue I want to take there from Tim's side of things, it's basically a marionette with hydraulic cranes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it is suspended where it is and all that smoke and all the viscous shit and all the like, as it's breaking up, before it has the fight, with Ripley and the exosuit in the mech and all that kind of stuff, where it's kind of wriggling about and, and, and moving. There are two people, stunt performers, by the way, not trained puppeteers, who are hanging from wires, operating the arms, and that's how the arms are moving. Separate people are operating, and there were two different versions of the head, one for the fight and one for the close-ups. There was a big, tough, like fi- I think it was fiberglass or something like that, mm-hmm. a polyfiber, like carbonate thing. That was basically indestructible. That was taking all the punches from the mech because, oh, by the way, the mech is a puppet as well. <laughs> that whole fight, and they also cut to miniatures, which are puppets. That whole fight is a big puppet fight, and I don't think people realize that because, again, you think about big sci-fi franchises, you think of everything that Star Wars does, aliens starting in the seventies, now aliens in the eighties, and you think, oh, there's probably some trickery going on and stuff there, and there is. There's those close-up shots, and then they pull back, and you can clearly see there's a doll instead of Sigourney Weaver if you really pay attention, and now that we have Blu-ray and 4K, and you can pause it and all that kind of stuff. But I I read some articles, and I'll put a link in the show notes and share it on Discord and all that kind of stuff when the episode comes out, that detail how they crafted it. And the team's working, Stan Winston, one of the legends, as we mentioned earlier, one of the most inspirational influential people in all of cinema has influenced special effects and puppetry and practical effects for decades and decades after he stopped working and and passed away and things like that and it's fascinating to me that it would never occur to me that that would be a puppet and then 
much like Kermit, you look at it and you go, fucking horse is a puppet. How the fuck else are they going to do this? Having this gigantic, like 30 foot tall monster just towering over everything else. And also having arms, legs, head, body movement, all this stuff happening at the same time in the same shot. And they somehow, some way managed to hide all of the cables and the suspensions and the big, like I said, it's literally like a hydraulic crane keeping this thing suspended and stuff. Mm. It still blows my mind to this day, much in the same way that there's the magic of Kermit. And I look at it and I go, why can't I see the fucking cables? <laughs> like, they, they didn't CGI out. That wasn't an option. So they're just hidden cleverly with all the debris and spaceship wreckage and yeah. sci-fi nonsense that's going on around them. I say that to one of my favorite films of all time, sci-fi <laughs> nonsense. Well, as much as we shit on him for Avatar stuff, it's Cameron, it's big, the big JC. He he has these visuals the in big his JC. head. Um, he's like when he was doing Terminator and things. He was he came from a production design background and mm. is an artist. So he he is rooted in. Here's a visual I really like the idea of. I mean, the Terminator was literally um, Sarah Connor and and Reese, or just these two figures, if I'm honest, mm. hugging in the fire as this thing was still coming after them. That just that yeah. one visual. And with the Alien Queen thing, it's like, yeah, I would be fully imagined he has this visual, like right. Now I'm going to manifest that and make mm. everything I can from the camera movement, from the acting, from the placement, from the cinematography, everything to get to that point. It's Yeah, it ties back into exactly what you guys mm. were saying earlier, that because James Cameron is basically every project of his is an excuse and a reason to push the boundaries of what he possibly can do. Yeah, He almost like, it, it feels like, and we talked about this in Director Missteps, like Zemeckis fell into the trap of this of, oh, I found a cool new thing and now I need to just keep pushing the boundaries as much as I can. Weirdly enough, Cameron has kind of done that as well. And with every new project, it feels like he has to invent a new technology or whatever it is. And I've got a quote here from uh, John Richardson, who was the, Mm -hmm. not that John Richardson, not the comedian we we know (laughs) of in, in 2023, the special effects supervisor on Aliens, talking about working with Winston and his crew. Uh, And John Richardson had worked on like James Bond series and loads of other stuff, like really well respected and, and Stan basically just said, so um, all I need to say is we'll make the queen and you make her move. <laughs> and that was it. And apparently it was to the point where Stan Winston had planned it all out and kind of mapped it and worked with his team to create this replica version of it. And then he said, right, I'm not doing anything until we have the full size model. There's a, there's a famous kind of thing about Stan Winston. Where he said he, he needs to feel He needs to feel the weight of the thing. He needs to understand that's how you understand something moves is you actually physically embody it and understand the mechanics of the piece. Mm. And that's such a key thing in puppetry, right? Especially when you're working with something of the size of the alien queen, you can't really get around like small things move different to big things. Mm. And like I said, there's shots in that fight where they cut to a miniature. It's a bigature. It's still fucking massive. Mm -hmm. It's still, you know, three, four feet tall size model. We're not Mm. talking like tiny little dolls here, but you're going from, 25 feet down to four or five feet Mm. that's a big shift but it's still a massive thing that you're operating and controlling with hydraulics and various different pieces and there's some amazing behind the scenes shots again i'll I'll link an article it's on uh, the stan winston school website i'm looking at at the moment and seeing the full size thing and the like animatronic head in the background that is the as they call like the hero so that's the Mm. that's the one you choose for the close-ups in the shot that's the full detailed version of the yeah of the head compared to the one that's getting beaten up and thrown around in the the shots for the close-ups where you see little mouth coming out and stuff that's the hero one and again little mouth 
animatronics and puppeteering, mm. right? You don't even think of that because we've gotten so used to fucking Alien versus Predator as we've covered mm. previously and fucking Prometheus we've also covered previously. Covenant, which I refuse to talk about any more than saying that word out loud. But the fact that all of that is practical and you really couldn't get around doing anything else. You couldn't do the whole fuck it, we'll sort it out in post. Mm. You couldn't do the thing prequel where like, oh, there's they've got some practical stuff, but we'll we'll fix it with CGI. They worked with what they had. Mm. They chose, as you were saying there, Matt, they chose specific shots. Cameron had a clear idea. Stan Winston had a clear idea. Working with Richardson and his team, it's an amalgamation of director, special effects supervisor, puppeteering, practical effects, all coming together and making this incredible now we think of such an iconic moment and before I started looking up and thinking about it, I would never think like, oh yeah, one of the most iconic fights in sci-fi cinema history mm. is a bunch of puppets, basically. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, it is. What a weird, yeah, what a weird say, thing to you think. You say puppet fight and you think of like Team America World Police. You don't... You They're don't, flopping about at each other. Yeah, yeah. You don't think of one of the most thrilling moments in cinema. Yeah. Get away from her, you bitch. Like, amazing iconic moments that are so defined by again these unsung masters of their craft that we kind of underestimate so much and i i know i do as like not as well educated in film as some of my co-hosts here and, and i'm sure plenty of you people listening and things like that underestimating how powerful puppetry can be and how unanimous and ubiquitous it can be without you even realizing in some of the most iconic pieces of cinema the reason I wanted to include that piece, because I hope, like me, some of you listeners will go, wait, what? That's a fucking puppet. And I'm like, yeah, mm. of course it's a puppet. It was the 80s. What else is it going to be? Yeah, what with alternatives? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, it's that power of, like you said earlier, Tim, having that vision, having the idea and everybody working together to have a clear way of, we will shoot it from this angle and cut to this separate shot. Like I said, you go close up out close up you see it pull out and escape and eventually fight ripley and all that stuff it builds tension brilliantly it moves terrifyingly it's just an absolute masterpiece and like i said there's clips on youtube and stuff uh when the episode comes out i will definitely be sharing them in the discord so i reckon you may go and check out the discord for all of the videos and clips and stuff i'll be sharing because i found it fascinating just learning more about that and i felt like I know aliens like the back of my hand. I've seen aliens a bunch of times, which is, as we've discussed on the show, very rare for me. But I didn't. So, yeah, go and check it out. Turns out, it's a fucking puppet fight. <laughs> Matthew, how about your first pick? Such a good segue oh. from, from yours to mine. Puppet fight! But, actually, no, not really oh. puppet fight per se. Puppet. But Stan Winston doing big ah, puppets. Ah, yeah, we go. Big monster puppets. The big man, Stan. Um, so, we skirted around tiptoed around jurassic park yeah we very much did yeah, yeah because there were so many times in that first half i was like big animatronic yeah i want to talk about that oh big close-ups yeah i want to talk about that <laughs> please matthew take to the stage yeah so uh stan winston and his team um we talk about cgi coming in and jurassic park is one of the first real flexes because they were doing all the go motion puppet stuff they were doing a combination of things at the top of their skills and then the team ILM were like, we can probably do this with CGI. We can map it in. And they tested it as a, as a like, can you do this really? And then they saw this one shot and thought, oh my God. Oh, and that's where the line in the film came from. The whole, like, I think we need to find a new job. I think, don't you mean extinct? I think, yes. Yeah. yeah. Or we're out of a job, sorry. 
and it's been then in, you know integrated to the script because it's like yeah that's how it feels that 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 leap was almost instantaneous even though it'd been building for basically a decade quietly in the background but one of the reasons Jurassic Park looks so stunning and remains so stunning other than the fact that it was a very 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 expensive film at the time and people who are at the peak of their abilities on one of the biggest films from one of the biggest directors who was at the same time simultaneously directing one of the biggest dramas of the 90s in Schindler's List. Mm. But um, there are many, many examples of different types of puppetry in this film because it isn't just a, here is the moment we now do everything CGI and everyone thinks it's all CGI. There's lots of it, there's tons of it. Um, the raptors in the kitchen, the the um, T-Rex breaking out of the uh, of the paddock, mm. uh, the Gallimimus sequences, tons of CGI. Gallim, Gallim. Gallimimus. Gallimimus. They're uh, <laughs> flocking this way. Um, they do move in herds. Um, they're locust. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they do move in swarms. <laughs> but the fact is that there are moments like really terrifying and precious little moments. So, for example, Dennis Nedry being attacked by that Dilophosaurus. Mm. And, it's like, and it's just moving its head around. It's like, that's a lot of personality to put in this dinosaur. Yep. The the T Rex fucking thirty foot animatronic thing lowering itself down and and you mentioned the Stanley uh, sorry the Stan Winston weight stuff yes and the and the eye dilating the oh pupil. man just that dilating pupil shot shining a flashlight mm. into it, it seems like a weird thing to it's such an obvious thing that thing is not alive nope. how does this pupil dilate <laughs> how the fuck do you do that that's insane push a button but that's not how magic works um and then you've got like for example. Another little one is the raptor egg birthing scene. Oh, mm. yeah. That is pure, come pure on puppetry. Come on now. Come on, little guy. He's there like you po- are. Poking it out. And I think that's probably like the most obvious puppety bit. It because, is until it's in his hand. Exactly. Yeah. When you see it pushing out, you can almost tell that, like, oh, there's like a little thing. Mm. Somebody is operating a thing that is pushing through that shell. Yes. And then as soon as you actually see it with a face, and arms and stuff you're like that's a fucking dinosaur <laughs> and again it's the, it's that illusion right we're talking about muppets mm-hmm, we're talking mm-hmm. about oh kermit is so believable people when they're on set like oh, that's, a, that's a real person like, i'm having a conversation with kermit the frog not <laughs> i'm talking to jim henson in a box yeah people said the same thing about the dinosaurs like mm-hmm. seeing a velociraptor and we're kind of bastardized that now so many people wandering around in those big inflatable suits and stuff oh, yeah, 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 yeah. people in the streets operating those like animatronic robot things that mm-hmm. that are kind of shit but <laughs> but there's still skill in that right and you're totally right there in the in that era of the 90s and i said like the decade after that is when the whole cgi yeah pandemic hate to use that word but you know happened and it's just an amazing thing because so many people again i think it's something that goes underappreciated poor stan winston going underappreciated again yeah you think of the cgi you think of the welcome to jurassic park and you see the big shot of the diplodocus and oh my god and all this thing when it sneezes on them it's a big fucking puppet <laughs> big t-rex head big fucking puppet and the t-rex is just spellbinding and just uh, I mean, and again, glorious and as terrifying. a kid just sets your imagination mm. on fire it's, it's amazing it's the, how do we get this thing to crash through the roof of the car well they just push it through the fucking roof it's like what <laughs> it's like have kids just hold up glass and scream yeah and it's like that and, and and it still feels weighted it feels real whereas if you watch some shots from jurassic park 3 or if you watch some stuff from um any of the worlds any of the worlds 
Although, again, similarly in, in the world stuff, Jurassic World, there are a handful of puppet mm. shots. Yeah. You just wouldn't know it because, again, it's a little too much coated in CGI or a little, too, like, for example, the, the, the dying, uh, I don't know what it fucking is, like an apatosaurus or something. Um, and, uh, you know, um, Owen and Claire are having a tender moment in Jurassic World where it goes <laughs> and, just, <laughs> and just dies because the Indominus Rex has gone through and killed it for no yeah, reason. Yeah. The thing, the, the the neck of it is is actually um, a puppet. Yeah, and they're the things you connect with. They're the things you go, oh my god, it's real. So if you go to Universal Studios, or you go to somewhere like certain parks, I mentioned that you know the Mandalorian Grogu thing earlier. They have these animatronic things. Right, please, please step back, step back, step back, everyone away. And it's not perfect, but some of them are really fucking good. And in a strange parallel, we might come back to it a bit later. When you're going around on the rides mm. and you see a T-Rex head bust through the wall, yeah. it feels like the film because it's replicating the same thing. And I think it's such a clever... The T-Rex is such a perfect example of this because you get so many shots of it that are full body shots that are so clearly CGI. Yes. The famous roaring and the the, the, the world built by dinosaurs, something like the, the banner comes down. and The, the realisation big... from Spielberg that this is the hero of the film. And if you don't see them again before the end of the movie, people will be pissed. Exactly. But the teases, the bit with the fucking goat and you see an eye and nothing yeah. and just trees moving in the background and noises and stuff. And then the fucking goat leg hits the front yeah, of the car yeah. and you just see, as you said, Matt, the head. Because T-Rex... It, as a creature is such a weird thing like with those tiny little arms it doesn't seem like it should be very like you know intimidating but the size of its fucking head and its jaws are just indescribable like incomprehensible mm -hmm. in modern day and then just seeing that massive fucking animatronic head craning mm -hmm. over the top of a fence in the darkness with the rain and the, the rain, lightning yeah. it's just the lighting and as we said like Shot choice is so with fucking important. Mm -hmm. Again, that flashlight in its eye, such a cool idea. And yeah. it's perfectly balancing. You can get away with big body shots when it's chasing them or when mm -hmm. it's roaring and when it's stepping out from behind the fence. When you're on those real close-up kind of shit, you want a really, really good-looking animatronic puppet, they fucking nailed it. It's, it's the moments where like Sam Neill's trying to get the kids out from under the car and that giant foot comes down. Mm. <sighs> and again. It may not. You may think, well, what is it? It's a prop. It's like the semantics. It's a puppet. It's a puppeteered thing. It's yeah. it's it's a it's a, it's a um, an extension being uh, animated and moved in real time. Yeah, basically what it is. And then you get things like, what about when you know the raptors are attacking at the end and they're surrounding the the, the group of them in the in the the lobby area. No, not uh, Jack is putting his hands out. <laughs> That's how you tame raptors, right? You just put your arms out. <laughs> Fuck those films Fucking so much. World, but. There's a moment which I remember being terrified of and loving as a kid, which is the raptors coming into that room, and there's the other one comes in. With, you know, you've got uh, Laura Dern and Sam Neill and all the others, uh, like, you know, climbing on bits of bone, and they all fall down. And one raptor comes in, puts its head under the sort of tarp, and looks really mechanically, do 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 left, right, almost yeah. Terminator style, like a machine. Which is weird because what we're looking at is a, a machined puppet, <laughs> which is being given animal precision. With human motion operators, yeah, yeah, to give it a more mechanical feel without being mechanical, because they're Insane. cold predator, exactly, like, yeah, yeah, and like two scary moments for me. I know we're we're talking about T Rex, but the Raptors are another amazing example. Mm. You have them be CGI when they need to be CGI, but so many other close ups. 
the shot through the door. And again, you just see an eye yep. and a nostril and it breathes on the fucking glass. Yeah. Shit me up as a kid. Yeah. And then you see, is that that handle moving? Yeah. They can open doors. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. And then it pushing its way through into the freezer and slamming the door on it. Yeah. Doing that with CGI in 1993 would be very difficult. They're actually trying to slam a door on a big, heavy, like industrial puppet mm-hmm. because it can take the slamming of this massive door. Yeah. And the same thing when it busts through the, the air ducts and stuff, they're crawling yeah. around. It busts its head through. They really did, as you said with the T-Rex, just, just shove its fucking head through a thing. Yeah. And it's scary enough. As it falls back down, CGI, because that yeah. makes sense. But Jurassic Park is such a... It's the, per- it's the perfect relay It's race. the perfect, yeah, perfect it's balance. It's handing off between mm-hmm. experts of their fields, producing things to make one very real, credible experience. I thought you were going to say creamy experience. One creamtacular creamsicle mm-hmm. in my cream hole. Cut that out, Tim. Look. Made that your ringtone, Tim. <laughs> so, I, so I think, yeah, it, it, it is one of those things that has to be talked about because it's like from yours with the, the alien queen where it's like, how do you have this one scene to, oh my God, there's a whole film of these fucks. Yeah. Um, in different examples, and the tr- mm. we have mentioned like the Triceratops, for example, the oh, yeah. Jabba the Hutt thing, yeah, Br- breathing huge... with yeah, yeah. Samuel yeah. and all that it's kind of huge. stuff, yeah. Mm. Um, but it's about forever. But I'm going to uh, Tim, your second choice, my second choice, kind of the perfect synthesis of what we've talked about so far, mm. because I'm also talking about a big inhuman monster. Okay. However, it's in a film directed by Frank Oz. Ah, here we go. Oh, hello. Uh, and I am going to talk about The Little Shop of Horrors. Mm. Um, musical time, everybody. A musical. A musical based on a, I believe, 1960 horror film. Yeah, I think so. Uh, the, the musical came along in the 80s, and then Frank Oz made a film of it. I think it's 84, but don't hold me to that. 84, 85, maybe? Yeah. Something like that. Um, And um, it's one of those examples that every time I see it, I can't understand how it was done, even mm-hmm. though I know how it was done. And it it kind of drives me insane because when I watch it, I my brain wants to tell me, oh, that's CGI. I don't think it's real, <laughs> but I definitely think, oh, they must have done, there must have been computers used to augment that because I don't understand how you did it otherwise. Even though I've read and found out how they did do it, it just looks so real, or, or not even real. It looks so smooth and so expertly done that my brain is just like, well, there must be computer involved because otherwise how? It's the classic thing where whenever somebody looks at an ancient achievement, mm. and by ancient, let's face it, I mean really the 50s prior, <laughs> it's the whole, yes, but how? Because of all the technology we have now. Yes. And it, it, if you want to like a really silly example, it's mm. actually nothing relevant. Being the age that we are, mm. we remember a time before smartphones when we would just go out into the street and say, I'll meet you at some point. Where? Just there. Great. I don't know where I am. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where you're going. And I can't contact you if something goes wrong. How did shit get done without smartphones, without yeah. Google Maps, without, things, without contacting each other? It just fucking did. And the same thing with visual technology. It's like, well, I have this contemporary easy way of doing it. Mm. So how and why? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's almost like our version of... Uh... I can't imagine how they built the pyramid, so it must have been aliens. Oh, kind God, of, yeah. yeah. Uh, but without the racism, thankfully. Yeah, thankfully, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, 
Audrey 2, which is the plant in this film, which grows from a, a small plant up to a gigantic 20-foot-tall monstrosity, um, was a huge effort. This film, at the time, was Warner Brothers' most expensive production ever. That's insane. That's, That's quite crazy. Yeah. It, co- it cost $25 million to make. Ah, in, in 1986. Yeah. yeah. That's mental. Yeah. And now they spend, what, half a billion sort of accidentally on Black Adam. Yes. <laughs> 20 times as much. Yeah. And which it, which like don't worry, it yeah. made money if you believe The Rock for some reason. Yeah. And, well, and more importantly, it changed the hierarchy of power in the DC. It, it certainly did. Yeah, James Gunn turned up. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, Audrey, Audrey 2 is uh, an extraordinary piece of puppeteering across several different scales. I think it was six different sizes of plant. There are eight different sizes. Eight, I looked this up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we should probably just jump in there for a second. Tim. For those who haven't seen the film, mm. describe what this is. It is uh, a kind of Venus flytrap esque plant. If you've ever seen like a a, a video game, Super Mario Bros. A Super Mario yeah. Brothers, a, a plant where it's where it's like got jaws and it wants to eat you. It's kind of based on this. Yeah. Um, a, a hugely influential film. Pir- piranha plant. A piranha plant yeah. esque thing. Um, that makes weird hissy sucky noises in its early stages. Yeah. Don't we? Um, like, and we uh, and the plot of the film it it's a romance between Rick Moranis and uh, I forget the female actress's uh, name. Ellen Green. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, and there's also Steve Martin as a masochistic, uh, sorry, God, a, sa- a, yeah. sa- a sadistic uh, um, dentist. Dentist uh, with Bill Murray as his masochistic patient who yeah. who wants to be operated on. Um, it's a weird film. A, a very weird film. Um and it's a musical, of course. Yeah. Um and uh yeah, it was uh so it was Frank Oz directing, who obviously has huge experience in puppeteering and and uh working on projects like this. Uh Audrey Two largely was the work of uh Lyle Conway, who was an animatronic designer. Over the course of making the film, uh they made fifteen thousand hand painted leaves. Insane. Two thousand feet of vines. Jesus. And over eleven and a half miles of cable were used uh in animating and and operating uh the various Audrey twos. They worked with a nuclear scientists to create the uh the kind of the free roaming vines that kind of would kind of like whip around and grab people. Um, and obviously those were controlled with like hydraulics and, and various animatronic controls. Um, they, yeah, they worked with nuclear scientists to make sure they had materials that were flexible enough, but that could stand up to repeated use and, and were strong enough to do certain things. Really, the thing that brings it all together when you're watching, especially when you're watching Audrey 2 sing. Yeah. Because you watch and the limp, lip syncing is absolutely perfect. And it also seems to be moving at a speed that a puppet should not be able to move at. Yeah. And the trick to how they did it is that they shot it at 16 or 12 frames per second, yep. which means that Rick Moranis and the various other people involved who are sharing a scene are moving themselves in slow motion and lip syncing in slow motion and have trained themselves to do that. 
That's fucking insane. Which is so hard. Well, you, you see a version of this with music videos. Yes, it's often used in music videos. Yeah. Yeah. When you want people to be look like things are happening in slow motion, but the singing is happening at the same time, yeah. you do it, it's really sped up. Yes. And you have to really sing ready for you know, sing fast along to it and then you slow yeah. it down looks like they're saying the right time yeah. but you say it's still a mind fuck to get into that with, with not saying a line singing yes yeah um, so yeah the, the, the human characters are essentially being filmed moving in slow motion with the puppet lip syncing along as fast as it possibly can and then you speed that up by you know a factor of about 50% or 100, yeah. you know, 100% and suddenly this puppet is moving with a smoothness and a speed that it just breaks your brain to watch it. Yeah. Because it just looks, you, you can't understand how it is moving that quickly and that perfectly. And there are, zi- pe- people kind of watch it and, and just assume, especially now, oh, oh, it must have been early CGI or whatever. Zero CGI in that film. Uh, zero green screen, zero kind of like of that kind of post-production yep. type effects. Same year as Aliens, like I said, yeah. in 86. The other assumption is like, oh, maybe it's like a rear projection thing where they'd already recorded a small version and they're in front of yeah, it. Yeah, so, yeah. No, he's interacting with it in the room. Yes, yes. exactly. Uh, how? Yeah. So it is, and it is one of those things that is consistently held up as like, this is a, about as good as puppeteering gets. Yeah. Because of the combination of those factors, because it's being shown at this speeded up version, but integrating the performances in such a way that you don't realize it, and the con- te- the technical complexity of, especially once you get to the big Audrey twos, there are literally dozens of people operating it because there's it's got various different uh, lips, I guess you would describe them as, even though there's kind of different folds of the plant. Mm things that like peel back and reveal vines leaves the head is moving around the tongue inside the head is moving around there's so much going on with that puppet that it is an extraordinary undertaking and you see there's some behind the scenes shots and there's literally Mm. like half a dozen people with these big like animatronic levers (laughs) all going in the sink doing almost like it's almost like a dance routine that they have practiced because obviously they're also working to music, um, although the music has been slowed down so that they can mm. then. So it, it's, it's such a, a testament to teamwork um, and to the people who were kind of bringing that all together. Um, and, and again, it takes someone like Frank Oz, who has so much experience with puppeteering, to know, OK, this is going to be expensive and it's going to be tough and it's going to be really hard work, but we can do this. This, yeah, is, yeah. this is within our reach. And for generations, you know, this is a film that is 40 years old, close on. And people still look at it and go, I don't understand how they did that. Um, Yeah, extraordinary stuff. And I I agree entirely, Tim. I really do. I I think people might not be able to Google it, basically. But yeah, watch some some videos of some of the songs. Yes. Um, The the, the finale song, which is uh, Big Green Mother from Outer Space. Yes. just watch that and your mind will even now knowing what we know yeah and having heard the explanation you'll watch it and you'll go it plays such a trick on your brain it's extraordinary the fact that it's like floor to ceiling puppet yeah with multiple appendages with their own singing bits like, yes oh. yeah and there's also forced perspective as well where yeah. they build the set 
slightly smaller so that the plant appears bigger, but then you have to shoot Rick from Moranis from a very specific angle so that he doesn't look like he's also a giant. Just so many different levels of stuff going on there, and it's it's really like technical filmmaking of just the highest degree. And people do not people think of it as just like oh, it's just that weird uh, musical with the kind of uh, singing plant in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, what's hilarious is because it it was so like I said, it started out as a horror film back in the sixties, and then uh, I think it's Alan Menken did the music for it. Mm-hmm. Um, turned it into a musical in the 80s and then it got to, that musical then got adapted into a film but the musical is out there and so there's all kinds of you know theatre productions of various sizes across you know various different nations all trying to make their own Audrey 2s and that you can go on YouTube and there'll just be like tutorials of people like hello we're a theatre company in Cincinnati here's how we made our Audrey 2 <laughs> Jack your second pick, what do you bring into the table? Back in the eighties, baby. The, as if the I golden e- age. As of if I ever left. Cinematic puppetry. The age of shoving your hands up stuff. Uh yes. It, for many problematic reasons, Matthew, yes. Yes. I'm there is bad times. <laughs> You've shoved your hands up a few things. Pringles cans. Been in a lot of fights. And uh, there, there we go. <laughs> in fact, it's the same year. Both my picks from nineteen eighty six. One of Tim's picks from nineteen eighty six. Nineteen eighty six. Best year for puppets, but now they're right now. I think that's true. It's a good year, puppets. Name a better year for puppets, Matthew. I'm talking about motherfucking labyrinth. And weirdly enough, a little segue from Audrey 2 oh. to talk about Hoggle, the dwarf. Pause. Just let people get really angry for a second for no reason. Because they're wrong. Now carry on. The reason it's a segue from Audrey 2 is because they had to do a bunch of lip syncing. And in fact, there is an actor underneath the whole animatronic head thing and the fact that it took three or four people to basically make Hoggle a believable thing on screen is a kind of testament to how much of a puppet this this creation, this little dwarf character is. I find it fascinating that I know there's like, when you're dealing with things like Audrey on stage, you have often have the voice actor off stage looking at the puppet as it's being puppeteered mm. to match the lip sync. Mm. And you've got the same thing here with Hoggle, where you have Sherry Weiser underneath the head and in the costume and in the clothing and stuff like that. This little person actor actually doing everything and being on set and stuff like that. Originally, the plan was to have Terry Jones as the voice of Hoggle and then also having Brian Henson do all the like puppeteering and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But... They couldn't work it where they would get Weiss's movements, Terry Jones's voice, and Henson doing all the puppeteering and animatronics mm. at the same time. Yeah. All three of them to coordinate together was way too much of a complicated job. Mm. So it ended up that Henson would do both the puppeteering and the voice so he could kind of synchronize with himself, essentially. Mm. And I think this combination of human actor and puppeteering literally on top of the human almost like in the way we were talking about with cgi being layered on top of the puppets and practical effects and stuff like that you take this very believable thing and you know in in very questionable ways in the past little person actors have been used in fantastical ways to be like look it's mm-hmm. gnomes or dwarves or oompa loompas or whatever like mm, all this kind munchkins. of stuff. munchkins perfect example exactly and then being able to transform 
this this dwarf and again there's a bunch of goblins and stuff we could t- we have a whole episode on just the puppets of labyrinth because oh my god yeah ta-da the henson company you know all that kind of stuff and it's amazing to see everything from huge things to tiny little creatures but i wanted to focus on hoggle because it's something we've not really talked about it is that blend of an actual onset actor being like essentially operated by another person who is not there (laughs) and it's this weird i don't know if you guys have seen how they tend to do this there's literally like almost like motion capture you have like a glove that is not literally motion capture it is wired into the animatronic head thing Mm -hmm. and it is basically doing the speech patterns and stuff like that and there's clips of brian henson talking about him how he was operating it and he said oh if i said thing like oh i can't believe you did that that noise comes with a expression Mm. so i have to go like and he shows the hand movement like blur and he spreads his fingers out and the eyebrows and the mouth go Mm. into this expression like that took me like an hour and a half to get perfectly synced up with how sherry is moving Mm. and we have to do that all the time as you are walking and talking with the other actors with the other puppets on the set with everything going on you got to have an amazing level of coordination between people on set people on screen people off screen all this kind of stuff and i find that stuff so fascinating and again it's a kind of thing you you take for granted you were right there matt when i said hoggle pause for dramatic effect because people will go oh that's not a puppet that's a that's a person under there it's like it's both yeah because that's fascinating and i think that's something that blows my mind that we're even capable of doing that much like audrey too the fact that people are able to visualize it and also synchronize themselves have the speech be believable and everything again it's all about that illusion right we keep coming back to that illusion you believe the t-rex you're scared of the t-rex you believe that a man can fly and a frog can cycle (laughs) (laughs) and then you believe that you know all these weird little fantastical creatures in you just believe that's its face yeah that's it yeah that's the whole thing it's, it's a face and you, I had almost gone the other way where I thought the entirety of Hoggle is a puppet because she's also wearing like rubber hands over the top of her hands. So it's kind of like uh, this full encompassing suit that doesn't show any of her skin at all. And I had assumed, oh, it's a whole puppeteered thing because it's Henson. Obviously, they're going to do this big thing. They do that so often where there is nobody involved and it's just a full thing. We talked about the Muppets earlier. We talked about some of the other ones earlier where there is no human involved actually in the suit. But this is a combination of both. And to me, as a kid, it was immaculate to the point where I didn't know where the human performer in Shari Weiser began and where the puppeteering began and where each of them ended and the perfect blend and blur between the two that I find so fascinating. And I think because Hoggle, he's a very central character the whole piece, but there are far more like physically impressive and spectacular stuff in Labyrinth. You think of all of the weird little creepy goblins and even things like Ludo and all the bigger like crazy mm, creatures. Yeah. And he's so kind of understated and like, yeah, it's just a little, little, little guy with a big face. He's, <laughs> he's a little dwarf. <laughs> but the complexity and again, the, the craftsmanship and the, the synchronicity, all the, again, coming back to that thing I was talking about earlier with Winston and Cameron all working together mm. and Richardson, the special effects are working together. It's those teams coming together and being able to, You've got incredible costume design, blending with a fantastic physical performance, voice acting, and puppeteering at the same time, as is common, from Henson. 
and then them trying to add another layer of Terry Jones doing the voice while Henson's doing the puppeteering. It's like, fuck, yeah, we bit off more than we can chew here. Let's just stick with Henson and, and keep yeah. it, again, as simple as we can, which is still incredibly complex. And um, got some, uh, again, little little clips and quotes here where they had actually lost the puppet when they were transporting it to one of the studios, like the, okay. the, the animatronic head part. And uh, they didn't realize it was left in an unclaimed baggage for like two weeks because it was flown across and you know how it happens sometimes like your sure. baggage gets sent mm. apart from apart from you brian henson didn't realize oh that package has been sent and he thought it was like oh it's some clothes or whatever turns out it was hoggle's fucking face <laughs> so i don't know if there was some like tsa agent out there who unzipped this bag and a, <laughs> and, and a fucking labyrinth face was staring yeah. back at him well, that must have been absolutely terrifying. But yeah, mm. we almost didn't get Hoggle in the rest of the film mm. because they had lost the head. And they were like, we don't have time to rebuild this. We're going to have to work around yeah. it. What the hell do we do? Because of the complexity of the piece, because of the artistry, because of Henson basically being the only person around who can operate this fucking thing. Uh, what do we do? He's kind of a very important, he's almost like a fucking deuteragonist at this point. Like, yeah, what do we do? And they almost didn't have him in the movie <laughs> for like the second half of the shots because they were flying between different studios and stuff. We nearly didn't have Hoggle for the rest of the film and they would have had to, I don't know, kill him off or something. I, from the interviews I saw, they, they didn't like conclusively say we'd have to kill him off or whatever. But the fact that it's such a it's complex thing. It's that would have sullied the film. Oof, yeah, made it much, much worse. Mm. Um, you also know, given that how closely Brian Henson takes after his dad, you just know that head was full of LSD. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And the way, um, so something we haven't actually talked about, something that ties into this and we've talked about previously, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, another perfect example of I was gonna bring that up. human performers doing all the crazy martial arts stuff. And then the guys using the shells that were like the animatronic power packs for the heads that did all the talking and expressing yeah. and stuff. Ogle is basically the same thing. And, uh, I've got a little um, clip here from, from Sherry Weiser talking about being inside the puppet and she fucking hated it. <laughs> the camera was in his stomach, like in, in, there's a thin layer of his, his cloaking over the top mm. of it. And she could just about see through this camera so she could see where she was walking. And there's this tiny little screen. This is 1986, bro, man. It's not some fucking LCD nice panel. Yeah. There's not like an iPad in the middle of it. <laughs> there's a CRT down there. There, there is a like <laughs> probably six inch by six inch, if you're lucky, CIT that is twice as deep as it is wide. Almost guaranteed black and white. Black and white in there, yeah. And she is like basically stumbling around in the dark. But when the mouth opened, it blocked the camera because of the way the clothing shifted and the insides moved. Yeah. She couldn't see the screen. So if he was talking... She wasn't walking. And eventually, they had to basically make verbal signals from offset if she was about to walk into something. You, some are still in the film, which I found fascinating. You hear like noises of the goblins and stuff around them. There's a particular grunt that is, oh. Sherry, you're about to walk into something. And that is the noise of the camera isn't working. Hoggle is talking and walking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's about to bump into something and then. Hogger will stop, talk, and then carry on again. <laughs> and it's such a like, it seems like such a clusterfuck, but the fact no, that it it's... all all combines together to make this thing work yeah. and believable is a fucking miracle. It's it's it's. Th I mentioned this in a lot of other episodes. It's that craft 
the craftsmanship of filmmaking where it's like this isn't perfect because we're pioneering it right now and it's not going to be good and that's why it ends up being so good in something like the turtles for example because you've gone through the trial and error of this experience Mm -hmm. yeah really fascinating stuff matthew over to you um so earlier we're having a discussion about what order we're going to go in we're going to segue to tim first because of course he's bringing up kermit the frog We've been my Muppets in the first half. It's it's the most logical thing. If you listen to the ad version, got some Muppety talk in the ads. Mm-hmm. Makes complete sense to do that. Um, and then Jack goes to his next piece. Like, oh, I'm going to segue to my Jurassic Park piece now because we didn't want to end on this one, but here we are. <laughs> it was inevitable. It was as inevitable as me picking this fucking example. Right, 2018. We're talking about puppets from the golden age of the. 70s, 80s, 90s, and these things. And this is our only 21st century pick. Half of our picks have been from 1986 specifically. <laughs> That's a very good point. Put that in perspective. So, 2018, there is a psychological British horror film called Possum. I do not expect anyone to have seen it. I, You are correct. I uh, did a Q&A at Cinema City in Norwich with Matthew Holness, who is the director and writer of this film. Um, when it was being, you premiered. may know as Garth Marenghi. He is Garth Marenghi. He's the guy who plays uh, Garth Marenghi in, in, in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Um, and Cur- currently on tour at the time of this yes, episode going out, I believe. Has he did an audiobook, possibly available in, in character, probably on Audible. Yeah. And people associated Matt Holness with this comedic cult role from the early two thousands, uh, and so subsequently everyone turned up to the film thinking, "Oh, great!" And he was warning everybody. He was in person for this one because he lives in Norwich, um, and. He put a video out at the start saying, thank you for coming to this film, everybody. I hope you enjoy it. And he made sure everyone was aware. Like, Obviously, everyone knows me from Garth Marenghi and that sort of stuff. That's great. This is not that. This ain't that, motherfuckers. This is not that. You are going to get a very different experience. And so much so, at the end of the film, people were like, oh. And then the Q&A came around. We had lots of moments of, ah, they're not disappointed, but they're... What the fuck was that, Matthew? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, a little bit. And I was like, sort of feel... I was trying to feel questions people who didn't look like they were about to sort of kick off about just questions about you know, filming a fucking TV series. <laughs> anyway, Possum is the story of a disgraced children's television presenter coming home to Norfolk. And the presenter is played by Sean Harris. Miserable bastard Sean Harris. Who you may know <laughs> from prequelizers in Prometheus. He's in Prometheus. Um, and a, a couple of Mission Impossibles. Oh, yeah. 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 And... um. He goes to stay with his uh, uncle, Alan, played by Alan Armstrong, who's another very good British uh, sort of um, period actor, and he's in a lot of theatre stuff. He's a very accomplished uh, performer. And it's fucking miserable. <laughs> it's so miserable. And not only that, he goes back to the home, and his parents die when he was young, and he had to go live with his uncle, and he's been tormented by this vision of this creepy fucking man. It's like this shapeless mask figure. It's like fucking horrifying. And as a children's puppeteer, puppetry runs in their family. Alan Armstrong's character, Maurice, also has a history of puppetry and marionettes. And they're in this house and it's a very slow burn movie. It's very miserable. And eventually, um, Sean Harris's character of, of Philip is haunted by the image of this puppet that he keeps in a, in a leather duffel bag. And he goes out to the woods and looks at it and he goes, no, 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 I, I can't deal with, can't deal with it. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? And then this puppet thing crawls out of the bag. And it is fucked up (laughs) (laughs) to uh, uh, i mean like the poster alone is nightmare fuel um 
if any listeners out there, <laughs> I, I, I like my wife, for example, or your wife, Matthew. Correct, yes. You're named Emma, or a variation thereupon, apparently. <laughs> if you're arachnophobic in any way, don't fucking Google this. Yeah, don't. When we talked about prisoners before. Yeah. Don't fucking Google that. No. It's terrifying. It- fucking terrifying. It's like the head thing from The Thing, the 1982 The Thing, not mm-hmm. the 2011 Thing, or The <laughs> Thing from Space, or The Man, The Thing, The Crow, mm-hmm. was a puppet in 2018. It's a man's creepy fucking mask head with big spidery legs. Yeah. Like The Thing from Sid's room in Toy Story. Yeah. yeah. But even scarier. Yeah, that, that's a really good That's comparison. fucking scary. Yeah. So basically, Hollis contacted a company in Sydney uh, called Odd Studios. And they design, and they, they, by the way, they work with, uh, on like Alien Covenant, Mac, Mad Max Fury Road, and Pirates of the Caribbean. They've done design stuff before. And they came up with this idea, because that was one of the main questions was about the puppet. Um, and, you know, what did you do with it? Is it burnt now? Can you tell me it's not <laughs> here anymore? Um, and it was this idea that um, uh, it's not just a creepy fucking head on a spider body. It's a mixture of macabre art that feels impossible and quite you know like we see a lot of ai artwork this day these days like oh that's a bit weird it's like yeah but if your artists are actually trying to be uh francis bacon-esque yeah get disturbing very... and off-putting and absolutely yeah and and it's also fucked up taxidermy <laughs> the idea of like i don't know what this animal's supposed to be but i'm gonna jangle it all together it's like this is monstrous and this very eerie face staring back at you um and it also comes from uh wholeness's own fear of spiders because again if you're gonna make a movie about horror do shit that scares you. Because if it scares you, it's going to scare somewhere else. Uh, that, that's, that's kind of a... It can feel silly and dumb. And the way it's puppeted, um, Sean Harris is just like, you know, g- g- walking around this very, very flat, grey, miserable-looking Norfolk, which is basically Norfolk. Welcome to Norfolk, yeah. And then he's at this old stone 60s building, and the puppet just creams its head around the corner, like, fuck off. No, no, fuck that, fuck that, fuck that. And it's the whole, like, looking at dolls on mm-hmm. a bed, you know? It's that uncanny, like... Ugh. And you know it's a puppet because he's a puppeteer. He mm. pulls it out of a bag and looks at it. But when it's moving on its own volition mm. and he wakes up in the bed and it's staring him in the face for some reason, it's too much. And then, of course, when you get to the end of the film, I guess, spoilers, it's all an analogy for abuse. And you're mm. like, oh, of course it is. And there's a child gone missing the area. You're like, oh, Jesus Christ. It's, it's so miserable, so dour. But the point is it's 2018 and it's a low budget film. And the, the thing that draws you in is that poster artwork the trailer stuff the actual design of this thing and he holds it in his hands and he's just in you know by the shore and it's like yeah i can see it's disgusting and weird but it's kind of normal it's when it's moving yeah because which is the the thing of puppetry it's what brings it it to life that's exactly it tim it's not just that it's a thing it's true like if you have in your uh in your room or in your house or wherever you're where you are right now on a bus and you look next to you and there's a puppet run uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if you see just an inanimate object i mean i'm looking around at some plushes in our, in our house mm. and various figures and things and you're like yeah it's a cool little design mm. if any one of those fuckers moves slightly yeah huck it in a fire there, you're like, there, nope there's a reason that there's so many horror movies about puppets or about Dolls. inanimate objects coming to life you know yeah. there's you're fucking going far back as your child's play chucky's mm-hmm all the way up to your Annabelles and Megans. Yes. You know. Um, <laughs> very topical. Very topical. Yeah, this thing looks like, just to, to, to get a bit artsy-fartsy from over. Oh. Yeah, 
Um, and again, not okay. one to... I went Toy Story. You're going to mm. go artsy farts. I'll see how this yeah. goes. Uh, not one to Google if you're at all anachronistic. Uh, anachronistic, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, Louise Bourgeois' uh, Maman, oh, the oh. spider sculptures. It looks like one of those, yeah. but with the with the baby's head from Toy Story stuck on it. Or just a, like a mannequin head. Um, and it's it's horrible like having just seen pictures of it <laughs> it's like oh that's a that's a creepy fucker i can't imagine how much worse it is seeing it puppeted the second we're done i shouldn't but the second we're done recording this episode i'm gonna show you a clip. oh <laughs> listen thanks, don't have for, the, to, thanks for those nightmares Matt. yeah you're, it's like like half ten at night and i'm gonna say bye guys look at this before, before you go home <laughs> it's like, yeah, I had to fucking see it. So do you? I've got to walk home on my own in the dark, <laughs> surrounded and followed by heads with spider legs. And yeah. remember, that thing lives in Norfolk. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so does Matthew Holness. So he <laughs> might, he might still have that prop somewhere nearby. Yeah, just I like the idea. He just, just fuck around, just throws it at people. <laughs> I would wouldn't put it past him. No, I would die. Or well, you just you just put it up in your window, peering oh. out into the street, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, and then move it occasionally to freak out the like neighbors, an, like an evil Kevin McAllister. Yeah, yeah. is anyone in this house? Yeah, someone's in this house. Um, but yeah, so I, that was my highlight because um, while we got a lot of things like, well, what's the what's the realm of puppetry these days? It's like there's always, always a realm for fucking creepy shit in horror films <laughs> you will it's like what are we going to use this for oh like a whimsical moment or fantasy or something or trying to say something grounded no creeping us the fuck out I, I like that we've gone from kermit to that yeah yep and that's something we haven't really touched on or something we could have done all of us could have we filled our picks with just horror stuff yeah mm. because puppets are fucking creepy when mm-hmm. they want to be and even when they don't want to be Speaking of the Norwich Puppet Theatre, um, friends of ours, mine and Emma's, had a wedding there a few years ago, mm-hmm. and every wall is lined with puppets, <laughs> and it's fucking terrifying. If you look higher than like six or seven feet in the air, there's fucking puppets everywhere, That's and they're right. cold, dead oh, eyes, no. dangly little legs, oh, creepy little fuckers. Oh, they're just down and the road. <laughs> exactly. They could be creeping up the road. No! Let- <laughs> crawling not- crawling up to your house here, Matthew. At which point, Laura Dan says, unless they've learned how to open doors. <laughs> and then you <laughs> see it. Clacky little fucking hands. You see, the nose ah! ag- you see the nose against the glass. And the- <laughs> That's the way we do it! Exactly, yeah. But even like, going like the Puppeteer series, or like, Puppet Master and yeah. Child's yeah. Play and all that kind of stuff. Like there is so much puppet stuff in horror. It's kind of appropriate that we came around to that, even touching on like Jurassic Park, Little Shop of Horrors, all mm. that kind of stuff. Aliens, not really. But like it's still a big scary monster, right? Yeah. But I'm sure a bunch of horror fans, because horror fans are die hard and I appreciate them about them, even if I'm not one myself, there are so many horror puppets throughout the years again starting in the 70s and 80s and even coming through to modern day because we talk about low budget horror so much yeah this is a perfect example of that of being able to harness that budget and use it in a way that's effective without relying on cgi or as tim said earlier like exploiting underpaid cgi workers and and artists and stuff like that Mm. if you're able to do it and make it believable make it a tangible thing in the real world and use that to your advantage to add to the creepiness the fact that it, it is a puppet and in the universe he is a puppeteer mm-hmm. and then it comes to life like 
oh god and that's as simple as chucky from child's play and and megan you touched on it's earlier it's also Tim unintentional like... the thing you might want to be your hero or very cute like et becomes people's fucking nightmares because that thing shouldn't be moving yeah that should be shotgunned in the face <laughs> you mean you, e. you mean flashlighted in the face <laughs> <laughs> my wife hates et i'm well aware imagine et's head on a fucking spider that's possum oh <laughs> <gasps> That's the true, that is your wife's literal worst nightmare. It's E.T.'s head on a spider's body. Good night, children. <laughs> I feel like there's no scarier note we can end on. Right? Uh, no. Nah. The ultimate terrifying puppet yep. is the E.T. possum. We'll, we'll, we'll fix something up on Photoshop and have that ready for you. Listen. <laughs> You're welcome. I don't want to get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I'm sure you have plenty of suggestions, listeners, so please do let us know on the various social media let us know on the website on the discord all that kind of stuff you can find the links for all of that at sequelizers.com like i said i'll be chatting and sharing a lot of clips and stuff because i did a bunch of research as i always do in the discord so i highly recommend you come and do that we have a post-show chat which happens on the friday when it comes out for patrons which is spoiler tagged we have a very strict spoiler policy in the discord so don't worry if you are waiting a few days to listen on the Tuesday or later when it comes out or whatever, you still can be in the Discord and not have the episode spoiled for you and not have latest film releases, loads of other stuff, including video games and all kinds of things, different topics we talk about in the Discord. is one of my favorite things we've got is our little community there on Discord, something I'm really, really proud of because there's 200 just really cool, friendly people in there, including podcasters we work with, all the VIPs and EPs I mentioned at the top of the show, There'll be a bunch of familiar names, including the three of us in there as well. So, yeah, highly recommend you go and check that out. If you want to have a go at me and say, Hoggle's not a fucking puppet, or Alien Queen's not a fucking puppet, or whatever you want to do, I am JLW Chambers on all the social media. Matthew, how about you? How can people argue about puppets with you on the internet? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z on the various social medias. You can also go to cheesemint.com to see the things I make, and the redrighthand.co.uk to see the films I have reviewed. Tim! What's your, uh... your worst fucking nightmare? <laughs> Tim, what's pulling your strings? Ah, ah. Um, I, I am being yanked about by Elon Musk. <laughs> on, Aren't we all? On Christ. Twitter. Uh, where Capitalism, I am, right, guys? Yeah, uh, where I am trivia underscore lad. Uh, you can also find me on Letterboxd, uh, trying not to post any spoilers for sequelizers, but uh, old reviews of films that I love or don't love. Uh, where I'm also trivia underscore lad. Nice. Excellent. I'm trying to get into Letterboxd as well. I think that's the thing I need to track what I've seen and what I haven't seen and what I think stuff, because I feel like I just kind of forget. So I'm just like, have I seen that thing? And you know, you get that moment where you start watching a film in 10 minutes and you're like, I know what happens now. Fuck, I've seen this before. Both you write a review for Possum is just says, nope. <laughs> <laughs> get 10 minutes in. Nope, nope, nope. And uh, just as we're wrapping this up, Matt has sent the clip. So as soon as we stop recording... Tim and I are going to shit ourselves. So, and also watch the clip. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, we'll be back next week with another interseason episode full of less creepy things than puppets and stuff, hopefully. So yeah, until then, thank you so much for listening and have a lovely week. He's canonically a little troublesome freak. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm not kidding. Tim, at the end of the audio, when the credits fade down, put that in. 